0: Hello everyone and welcome to Starscream's Ghost, a Transformers podcast, your episode-by-episode episode podcast guide through the classic Transformers Generation 1 cartoon. I am Jeremy Graves, and joining me on this, peek behind the curtain for all of you listening today, incredibly hot day here in the UK, so we are both trying not to fry, like, eggs on a, on a pavement or similar, my good friend in crime, Mr. Andy Hanley,
1: good sir, how are you doing during this heatwave? Possibility of roasting 93.872%. <laughs> Very appropriate. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's a little disclaimer before we get going, buddy. When we're recording this, it's basically the start of a heatwave for like a week long here in the UK. So if we sound like we're gradually melting, or if you're watching the video version on YouTube and we look like we're melting, it's because we are, just to put it quite bluntly. That's not the only way to put it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the good news for me is living in Scotland, like... We're not really having a heat wave. We're having, like, today, and then it's just going to rain. <laughs> so, all good, all good here. I, I'm, I'm only going to be suffering temporarily. <laughs> Whereas me, on the south coast of England, it is just ridiculously hot. Not that, this is the
0: weird, so, just going to go on a slight tangent here for weather talk, because we're British, we've got to do this. Not that I'm complaining it's really hot. It's more that, if, if there's a really nice breeze, Andy, I'm sure you can relate to this, I'm totally fine with that. If it's really hot, but there's a nice breeze to kind of even out the temperature a bit, totally fine with that as soon as it's just only heat no cloud cover and such like that i'm in the territory of trying not to complain but going uh,
1: i don't want it to rain but you know if yeah. it could <laughs> yeah it, it's, it's always the humidity that's the killer for me like I, I can live with being hot but like when it's just hot and sticky and you're just sweating like that's no fun nobody nobody likes that there you go So what are we talking about today,
0: everyone? Well, today we are covering from Season 3 of Transformers Episodes 24 to 26. We're going to be getting on to those in just a couple of moments because a little bit of housekeeping before we go any further. If you are a first time listener to the podcast, I promise you we don't just talk about the weather like traditional British people. We do talk about Transformers a heck of a lot. And if you're interested in checking out the archive of our podcast, you can find it on the likes of Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, SoundCloud. We've done our best to get it in as many places as we can. A latest addition to that audio archive option is actually on a patreon page which is at patreon.com slash starscreens ghost it's a patreon page as we highlighted on our last podcast episode 26 that it's not one where we're asking you to pledge money to get additional content. It's very much just a long-time archive solution in audio form for the podcast. So if you want to give the page a follow there, it will appear on your Patreon feed as per normal, and also you can just download the episodes in mp3 form as well, pretty and simple. Speaking of archives, we also do this podcast completely in video form, and you can find that on YouTube. We have put every single podcast, including bonus episodes, that we have done on YouTube. And if you search for Starscream's Ghost Podcast, you should find our channel there just fine. And I mentioned YouTube, Andy. It's like I'm trying to do really convenient segues here. The episodes that we watch each and every week of Transformers that we do a podcast on... We watch the episodes on the Hasbro Pulse YouTube channel, that being the 100% legitimate way of watching all of the Transformers G1 cartoon. And as we love to delve into the episodes every couple of weeks here on the podcast, today we have got the latest round of season three episodes as mentioned. 24 to 26, according to Hasbro Pulse's ordering, should any of that come back to bite us. Will it today? You'll find out soon, folks, because there may be one detail we need to talk about. But today we are covering the episode titles. Grimlock's new brain, money is everything, and Call of the Primitives. Andy, I know we had kind of built it up a bit, and we talked about this on the last podcast. That since our very first podcast, you were looking forward to Call of the Primitives, and it's sort of been a gradual build up to it. And I was trying not to get myself overhyped for it, and not to just kind of spoil my thoughts on it from the get go. But man, I've got to say, I think it lived up to the hype because that was quite the episode. And the other two episodes that we're talking about today, actually, really good fun as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it, it's it's the Grimlock Power Hour in a lot of ways. <laughs> like we have uh, we have a couple of uh, a couple of episodes where Grimlock ends up being like the star of the show. And then in the middle of that is, like, the worst love story ever told. But, but I guess <laughs> we'll get to that in due course. Um, but yeah, there's there's a lot going on in these episodes. Like, you know, a bunch of new characters get introduced with varying degrees of backstory from zero to some. Um, <laughs> you know, we get kind of... The, the weird thing I forgot about Call of the Primitives is you kind of get another weird origin story that seems like it goes against what we've had in the series thus far but hey I guess we'll run with it um and then yeah we actually we, we get a bit of Earth Defence Force time which I'd kind of forgotten existed because it feels like a hot minute since they've been around um but yeah yeah this is a this is a good a good little set of episodes um which yeah like all entertains me in pretty different ways to be honest it's a good it's another one of those ones where like the sort of the episode order has actually sort of blessed us with a nice sort of variety. Like these were like three very different episodes that show off different facets of this series and this season of the series from dumb but fun through to kind of like, hey, look at the cool robots fighting. Definitely. This this
0: really showed the variety of what you can get in Transformers, but got to be said, in more positive ways than in some episodes that we have had. That needs to be highlighted.
1: Yeah. absolutely yeah like i I feel like it was it it, it was it was all good stuff here overall so yeah i definitely definitely here for it so from there andy i think we may as well just jump into our first episode of the day
0: so let us begin on season three episode 24 grimlock's new brain But before we get to the episode proper, I wanted to make a few notes today regarding the writers of the episodes that we're talking about, because there's some interesting notes to mention here. More specifically for this episode, Grimlock's New Brain, it was written by Paul Davids, who also wrote the episodes during this season, and I think actually come to think it may have been one of the season two episodes as well, unless I'm just in a complete time loop at this point. Cosmic Rust, Chaos and Thief in the Night, as well as this one. I think Cosmic Rust was season two, because I seem to recall Megatron being in that one.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah, that's where Megatron was having a real bad time in that one.
0: (laughs) Who's Megatron? So long ago, right? (laughs) But uh, here is the blurb on this writer, Paul David, according to the TF wiki. An American writer, producer, director, and UFO enthusiast. He was a writer and production coordinator taking over the latter role from Gerard Mola, I believe it's pronounced, for the Transformers cartoon and also wrote and produced Roswell, a film about the 1947 Roswell, New Mexico UFO incident. He may be most famous, or infamous, for co-writing, along with his wife Hollis, the Star Wars young adult novels known as the Jedi Prince series. And the final note on here, he is also a proud
1: practitioner of the Space Pirate Boogie, I don't know what that means, but it sounds great. It's I know, right? Good for him. <laughs>
0: I, I I felt it more necessary to note it because we've got someone who's written a few episodes before. Which, as far as I recall, they weren't. I mean, like Cosmic Rust was very interesting. Chaos had some chaos in it, and Thief in the Night. I don't recall that being horrible. Yeah. I, it's not. It's not making me remember good things necessarily off the top of my head but that's because we've covered so many episodes but either way someone who is familiar with the transformers universe and i think that's a key detail for how this ultimately plays out
1: yeah yeah i guess it, it kind of it makes sense And yeah like cosmic rust was definitely a really good episode like i, I now wish there was a transformers episode called space pirate boogie but hey, that's, <laughs> you know will we'll never we'll never happen i guess so on to the episode proper We begin on Cybertron
0: with Ultra Magnus saying the following. Today marks a momentous occasion. In a few moments, the new power generator deep within our planet will begin to send energy into these processing units. Then we shall have an energy supply that shall last forever. At this point, Rodimus Prime signals Grimlock to activate the machine that will kickstart everything, but Grimlock then admits he has forgotten which switch to pull, despite Rodimus saying to himself, I've literally gone through this with you five times. What the heck. Grimlock then manages to trigger several alarms via the brilliant thinking of pulling levers that have the emergency tag written on them, as well as the old eeny meeny miney mo tactic, before Rodimus Prime ultimately just dives in and goes, no, not that switch, that's the one you're meant to pull. Which leads to the following dialogue exchange. Grimlock saying, why you think Grimlock's stupid? Me not stupid. Me smartest Dinobot of all. Perceptor then responding with, Unfortunately, that's probably true. I just wish all the Dinobots had more sophisticated brains. Grimlock then responding with, Brains? Me Grimlock know how to bash brains, maybe bash yours. (laughs) As this exchange of words is happening, we, the viewer, see that elsewhere, a Skuxoid and a Slizardo for those of you that remember those species that we've encountered before, are sneaking into the generator to place what we come to find out are anti-electrons, and that anti-electron being in the form of a purple liquid being held in a jar of sorts, and they want to put that inside this generator device. Based on dialogue between the two, or more specifically the Skuxoid, because the Slazado can't actually say anything in English, it's just sounds, we come to find out that this is a mission... That Galvatron has paid them to carry out with the aim of eventually killing the Autobots. Now, Andy, an important moment for you here. <laughs> In space, Cosmos and Skylinks are flying back to Cybertron, musing that they're late for the ceremony. And Cosmos is sad because he, quote, wanted to see his auto start the new energy unit, end quote. But suddenly finds himself flying out of control. <laughs> and when Skylink swoops in to help, he then says, Have no fear. Once again, I will save the day. Before he too starts to lose control, and name checks specifically his autogyros are what has been impacted. The other Autobots on the surface spot the predicament that their friends are in, and they rush to help the two as they just crash land quite spectacularly into. What the TF wiki has noted is actually named, Andy, the Power Platform Alpha. That being where all this is happening, which I thought that's a that's an interesting name, but sure thing. Springer then tries to airlift Skylinks to the repair bay, but then himself begins malfunctioning. And this occurs when there appears to be some purple beams of light shining on him. Remember the colour purple, everyone? There's a reason I mentioned that. And now both him and blaster shortly thereafter are now unable to transform both of them being stuck in their their core robot root mode if you will we then go to see that with the help of teletran 2 perceptor concludes that the problem is originating in the generator which leads rodimus ultra magnus grimlock and cup to head down to investigate using an electro map which my first note andy read ah so some kind of gps device And then I added, actually, no, it's a compass. Yeah, it's literally just a compass, (laughs) but you you do you, Transformers. (laughs) And that is provided by Perceptor to guide them. Teletran then says the following, quote, Shut down the generator in the power core and repair it. If you do not, all Autobots will start glitching so badly, you will have to leave Cybertron forever. End quote. So just to st- stop there for a second, I think I-, I like how this is how this has been set up so far, and at this point as well, it doesn't really give a- much of an indication as to where it's going to go, which is one of the reasons I really liked this episode because with the with the Skuxoid and the Slazardo being involved very early on, and Galvatron being mentioned, it's like okay, so they've been hired, so clearly the pl- plot's going to get foiled or something, and then Galvatron will come to try and sort it himself. He'll balls it up and whatnot. But that's not where we're about to go. So I really kind of like almost the misdirection that it does in this.
1: Yeah, yeah, like it's it's a pretty solid setup. I mean, if, important things to note here: one, Rodimus Prime can't even be bothered to give the speeches anymore. Like he's just he's <laughs> just ha- he's just handed that off to Ultra Magnus. It's like, look, I just can't I can't even be bothered. Two, why would you pick Grimlock to push the big button to switch on the important piece of technology? Like. Out of every Transformer, he would probably be like bottom of the list. Perhaps, perhaps only above Cosmos, ironically, <laughs> in terms of like, yeah, get get that dude to press the button. Um, which also leads into my other point. For some reason, this episode made me really miss Wheeljack. It's like, this, yeah, this, this, I got that this, vibe. This should, this should be a Wheeljack thing. Like, Wheeljack should be doing all of this tech stuff. I miss Wheeljack. Um,. So yeah, all of that was going through my head, and then yeah, I had to like, oh, it's Cosmos. Oh, he crashed. Um, which was <laughs> fantastic. Which I believe this is also like his last appearance in the show. So You've a... got to be kidding, really. <laughs> I, think this is, I think this is the last time we will ever see Cosmos. Um, so you know, he, he died as he lived, being kind of useless. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's that's the the end of him. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is this is a good fun setup, up like obviously making it very clear like did you remember Grimlock is stupid Grimlock is really stupid like look at the title of this episode something is going to happen about Grimlock's stupidity um and uh so yeah it's, it's 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 a good it's a good fun thing I kind of like the deep cut of having our Stuxoid friend back Stuxoid Stuxoid whatever um of, of, of like having him back because like he's sort of become a weirdly sort of re- re- recurring character who just crops up every now and again I think this Lizardo has been in this show before as well, if I recall. Like, was he, he not the dude
0: that ended up with what was that Autobot bounty hunter? Never came back. Yeah, we've yeah. Talked, was he it, was, was it
1: DevCon, was it? Yes, yeah. He was there yeah. uh, with yeah, like the, the anime convention guy, DevCon, um, <laughs> <laughs> named after some Devon anime convention. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. So it's like it's kind of it's fun having those like recurring characters of just like oh somebody remembered those guys and they they came back. That's that's cool back to
0: the story to cut a long story short in one instance the electro map compass that we were talking about which was going to lead them to the heart of the generator grimlock breaks it and he does it by snatching it off rodimus wanting because he wants to use it himself and then he ends up storming off in a huff and after rodimus makes it clear that he's not happy with him let alone everything else that's been going on because you know everyone just believes he's just stupid magnus then remarks he's picked a fine time to throw a tantrum but Cup is more concerned about if Grimlock may set off the automatic defences that are down here because he won't be aware of them, which prompts Rodimus to then send Cup to keep an eye on him, or you could say babysit Grimlock, while Rodimus and Magnus continue the search, unaided at all by any of their compass material, for the core. Assuming they are getting closer, the purple beam of light is now shining down the corridor that they are walking down, that being the corridor that Magnus and Rodimus are walking down specifically. Rodimus begins malfunctioning, thanks to the anti-electrons. Grimlock and Cup elsewhere actually end up reaching the generator's core and the controls themselves, so Grimlock actually was correct. Hashtag Grimlock was right. (laughs) And Grimlock is happy that they found it and is well up for sorting everything out, But interestingly, as they're approaching the controls, Cup begins to suffer some memory malfunction. This is when Grimlock proceeds to utilise his sudden aptitude, as I've written it down, Andy, for helping any form of technology to work correctly and to deactivate it more specifically. That being just by kicking and biting it. It's a very Grimlock thing to do. But when he does this, he is engulfed, as I've written down, in a purple light of the anti-electrons as the machine is shutting down cup is now back to normal so clearly grimlock did this correctly he asks grimlock how he managed to shut it down and then we come to discover something pretty drastic has happened i'm going to attempt to, to emphasize how this came across andy it's not going to be a good enough job but i'll try i grimlock used my rear molars Cup is in shock, quite rightly as well, and Grimlock goes on to say, Is your hearing impaired, Cup? (sighs) With some Autobots, you just have to explain everything. Using my teeth, I severed the connections, thereby breaking the electrical circuit. With Rodimus back to normal, him and Magnus are now making their way back wherever they think that is, because they haven't got a compass, and they end up now activating one of the automatic defences mentioned earlier. They are now trapped in a corridor and are about to get demolished by one of the big traps that were set there. This is when Grimlock assesses the situation and finds the door release switch, and Cup gives all the credit to Grimlock, prompting the following dialogue exchange. Rodimus going, Grimlock? What did you do? Bite the controls? That being a response to Cup having said it was Grimlock that had done this. Grimlock then responds with, that was hardly necessary. I, Grimlock, simply nullified the hazard by terminating the operation of the security system. <laughs> Stunned by what they have just heard, this this episode takes another shocking turn as Ratbat suddenly appears from nowhere, having apparently, Andy, been spying on them the entire time.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, they suddenly remembered like, hey, who's that guy that we brought in to replace Laser Beak. Like we've not had him like appear <laughs> or spy on any anybody in quite some time. So I guess what better time to, to add this into the mix. And in true and intrude fashion as well, Andy, for the espionage angle, Ratbat
0: escapes. He does. The Autobots return to the surface and pass the Dynabots fishing in a local pond of sorts. This is where I actually think this was genuinely quite a sad moment, Andy. <laughs> Because I have no idea how this episode was going to end. I just genuinely didn't remember. And I didn't remember a lot of what was to come next, quite frankly. So when we suddenly see that Snarl is inviting Grimlock to join them, but Grimlock declines, saying that there are more important matters to attend to. And then one of the Dinobots just says, But we always fish together. Which is a really sad moment. <laughs> Meanwhile, we mentioned Ratbat a moment ago, Ratbat has now reported back to Galvatron what has occurred, i.e. nothing, because the Autobots managed to shut down the generator and the source of the Anti-Electrons doing their job in the process. We then see Galvatron start to threaten to kill the Skuxoid and Slizardo because they ruined his plan, but the Anti-Electrons have now already evaporated, they were already hard to find. Galvatron doesn't know anywhere else where there could be some, so he's in the mood to off someone. But Slizardo, through his random musings and translation through the Scuxoid, reveals there is another source of anti-electrons that Galvatron hasn't discovered. If you'd have told me this is what they were going to say, Andy, or asked me to guess, I probably wouldn't have guessed this at all, but they end up saying in Unicron's brain.
1: Yeah, I mean, I feel like the answer to all of these things in season three is always either going to be the Quintessons or Unicron. <laughs> like those are kind of the two, the two things on your bingo card of like the the source of or cause of everything. So I guess it makes sense.
0: So it seems we paused here for a second. I, I will get your thoughts. What do you think of of the new Grimlock brain so far and and the actual beginning of it?
1: Yeah, I I like it. I mean, it's it's one of those things that I feel like every long running cartoon series does at some point like they have like the dumb character gets hit on the head with a brick or something and becomes smart or the smart character gets hit on the head and becomes dumb it's it's a classic but it's a classic for a reason that it's always kind of fun um to to watch you know the stupid character and, and and Grimlock is like the perfect fall for that because he is like monumentally stupid as as a <laughs> hole in in Transformers and so having that turn around uh, was fun i also had a good a good few minutes of trying to figure out why his voice sounded familiar. And I realized that it's basically just Jetfire. Um, and, it and that, flipping is as well, isn't it? Now you yeah, it's, it. It's, yeah. It's the same actor. And yeah, he basically, it's, it's kind of like Jetfire with big words is kind of the voice that he goes with, but it, it works. It sounds, it, cause that was the thing I was curious about even from this episode title of like how, what does smart Grimlock sound like? And the answer was Jetfire, as it turns out. but, uh, but yeah, it's a good, it's a good fun start. Um, and, uh, yeah, like, and, and, you know, obviously the, the the citation of Unicron as the cause of all of this is like, uh, okay, cool, well, we're gonna, we're gonna do Unicron thing, yeah, let's uh, let's see how that's going. Having had that
0: revelation come to pass, elsewhere Grimlock concludes that the anti-electrons were the source of the problem. And Persoment, uh, Persoment, that's what I was gonna say, I don't know what that was, but Perceptor has a moment, there you go, of one of those moments where you go of course why didn't i think of that to which grimlock responds with perhaps because your mental abilities are are so limited to which i wrote down in response to that burn <laughs> cuz perceptor just got proper outpercepted <laughs> as this is happening we the viewer see galvatron's ship approaching unicron's head and he cautions his soldiers, saying that Unicron may still be quite powerful. Because at this point, Andy, I can't actually remember if he's still activated or not, technically, in the story.
1: Yeah, well, I think because the last we saw, he'd got, like, blown out of orbit with a bunch of explosives. And it was very, it was left very indeterminate as to whether he was dead, alive, functional. Like, yeah, what what state is Unicron in at this point in time? Like, we, we didn't we didn't really know now in this same scene andy it turns out
0: this is actually fairly notable because we'll we'll elaborate it a little bit more perhaps in a few moments but this is also where we get the debut just randomly on screen no fanfare whatsoever of the terracons which i completely forgot were even a thing and i don't think i've ever really delved into who and or what they each respectively are so when I suddenly saw these other Transformers on the screen, I'm just like, who the heck are they? Like, did I just fall asleep in a different universe or something? But no, they're, yeah. they're, they're Terracons.
1: Yeah, I mean, even... I'd kind of forgotten about them completely, and I owned one of the Terracon toys. Like, I, I owned <laughs> Hunger. Uh, mostly, it was it's actually... It's, 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 uh, who can who as a kid cannot love like a two-headed dragon that transforms into a robot um he was he was pretty cool um but yeah like this was definitely very late sort of combiner team like the end of the combiner team era with the Terracons and as we assume to see the Technobots who were incredibly boring, I <laughs> seem to recall as toys, and I, <laughs> I suspect that's probably why they stopped doing those combiner teams. Um but yeah, it's it's one of those it's been a long while since we've had just a random new character appearance. like Because obviously, you know, we had a bunch of them in season two that got dropped in out of nowhere. But you know, season three, obviously we had like the movie as a big character intro there wasn't really anybody else to introduce subsequent to that point that i can think i guess we had like outback and things but like random kind of smaller fry transformers but yeah it's a particularly random one given you've got this whole new team and given that we're about to get like an origin story for the technobots even if it maybe doesn't logically line up with other stuff we've been told about creating new transformers but yeah it would have been nice even just to have a throwaway again you wonder if there was like a throwaway line or something that was cut for running time just to explain why the heck these guys are here because yeah they just appear out of nowhere but they'll be involved in more action in the coming scenes
0: on cybertron the Dinobots- Seek to find Grimlock, who at this point, Andy, is building a new spaceship. But logical reasoning, because he says that this is due to Skylinks and Cosmos both being in the repair bay. So you know what? Good job, smart Grimlock. Good
1: job. I mean, if he was really, if he was really smart, he might have thought that they also have Omega Supreme, who is a very big spaceship. Um, Well, it's funny you mention that, and literally
0: I was about to say this, because we referenced this in, during one of the wiki notes in, uh, in our previous podcast, but this is where we get the line that Omega Supreme is currently away on a mission.
1: Oh, yeah, I guess I'd I'd forgotten that 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 line cropped up here.
0: Yeah, so that's literally when it came in. So, in terms of continuity, it actually makes complete sense, other than the fact of where the hell's Omega Supreme been? Yeah,
1: what mission?
0: (laughs) And so, he asks, that being Grimlock, is now asking for his fellow Dinobots' help. To put it bluntly now, Sludge does not like Grimlock's change in attitude, and Slag declares that Grimlock no fun. With their leader not acting like one of them, the Dinobots decide to go hunting without him. The Dinobots are breaking up before our eyes, Andy. It's really sad. But later, we see that Grimlock has taken Rodimus Perceptor and Cup to Unicron's head, having concluded that Unicron's body, before it exploded in the movie, I assume, was the original source of them. I'm assuming by that, by them, as I've written down, I meant the anti-electrons. Yeah, yeah. So probably. yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, that's just a really weird note from me. But there you go, buddy. <laughs> but now, my first thought, Andy, when I've got this, when I wrote this down, and I actually literally got it in my notes here, does this not contradict the line earlier about how Galvatron has searched everywhere for anti-electrons before this? It's a little bit of a contradiction, I think. But it's a minor note in the grand scheme of things
1: yeah i mean i guess you could argue there's one place galvatron doesn't really want to go it's unicron so when he searched everywhere it's it's a bit like (laughs) when you lose your car keys and it's like have you looked everywhere and you say yes but there's places you haven't looked because you can't be bothered or don't want to that's that's, that i'll I'll give i'll give galvatron that one i guess At this point, Galvatron
0: fires anti-electrons at the Autobot shuttle, causing it to crash and the Autobots individually now beginning to malfunction in various ways. So much so, Andy, it also reverts Rodimus back to being Hot Rod for a brief second. I don't
1: know if you caught that, but it did. Yeah, yeah, that was, that was a, an, an interesting moment. I mean, it also... A funny moment that, that we didn't mention earlier is that like Blaster when he's having his like transformation malfunction is like, Oh, this this has never happened before and it's like, No, this has literally happened before. Like we've had <laughs> at least one other episode with like malfunctioning transformations, so this is not this is not a new thing. Um but it is always a fun thing. I do I, I am still continue to be a fan of weird like transformation glitches in this show. I don't know what it is, but I always find it incredibly funny. <laughs>
0: I'm pretty sure one of the episodes you're referring to there is the one where literally the entire Autobot team was
1: stuck in vehicle mode. Yeah, I think Is it Desertion of the Dinobots where that happened. I think it's I think it's one of the Dinobot episodes. Where... Was there
0: not one where they were like having a race a race around the track or something, and then there was like a giant claw machine
1: that was, was going to be. Yeah, one of them. yeah, I can't remember whether that was the same story or not. <laughs> I mean, I don't, we've watched a lot of Transformers, guys. If you haven't noticed. <laughs> At this point, Galvatron then
0: unleashes the Terracons on the Autobots. At which point, Grimlock just wanders off. (laughs) Just randomly. But contrary to how it first appears, it's because Grimlock is now using components of Unicron to build and create a brand new Autobot we come to find out is named Nosecone. Which, we then get the following dialogue exchange. Nosecone says, Ah, Are you my father? (laughs) Which is amazing. I love love
1: that. I love that.
0: To which Grimlock responds with, In a way, but I'd rather you think of me as your fellow Autobot. You must help me vanquish the evil Decepticons. Now, transform! (laughs) And then we see Nosecone transform into a sort of tunnel drill in many ways. Kind of like a tank as well. And then Grimlock asks him to drill a hole into Unicron's brain. Elsewhere, Cyclonus and Scourge are now retrieving anti-electrons. When at this point they reactivate Unicron, who I guess was just asleep at this point, being the floating head in space that he is. In terms of what Unicron said, I couldn't catch all of it because some of the dialogue was very muffled. But the general gist of it was, "I am Unicron. Who dares enter my mind? All trespassers will die." Unicron's internal defenses but it turns out that grimlock's been really flipping busy in the past two scenes andy because strafe another autobot that grimlock has just somehow built inside unicron's head we won't judge this now we may come back to it in a minute and the way i've described strafe is can transform into a sort of spaceship that resembles an x-wing from star wars before it's gone into like the x attack mode Kind of like the standby mode. That that was the only comparison I could make, unless you could think of something better. No, no, that, that just about sums it up. And in turn, then destroys said defences, does Strafe. Finally, Rodimus and Co., still on the surface, are having a tough time against the Terracons. And this is where we find out, Andy, Grimlock's been even busier in these past couple of scenes, because we get three more Transformers making their debut. After Burner, a bike... Lightspeed, a car, and Scattershot, a ship, as I've just very nonchalantly written down here. Together with Strafe and Nosecone, Grimlock
1: dubs them the Technobots. Yeah, they're they're just, they're going to have a rave at any moment. (laughs) And Scattershot specifically
0: is allocated as their leader. An interesting note here as well. Scattershot is confused as to why he has been made the leader. Because he thought that Grimlock was gonna be the one that leads them, and really emphasizes how smart Grimlock is and how much they need him. But Grimlock says he won't be very much used to them for much longer. Adding that they can that they can and will survive without him. He then just sends the Technobots to fight the Terracons. On the battlefield, Cyclonus and Scourge are handing Galvatron the anti-electrons that they have just drained from Unicron's brain, I guess is the way to phrase it, when the Jar having these electrons is destroyed. And my first thought was, ah, episode over. There we go. (laughs) But no, because the Technobots now engage with the Terracons in battle. And this is when we find out, Andy, that the Terracons are a combiner team, as you alluded to, and they transform into Abominus which is a great name for a Transformer.
1: It, it really is, yeah. Like, it feels like the whole Terracon thing is worth it just for, just for that name. Ter- Terracons, I think, generally have some pretty good names. I mean, again, Hunger is a really good name for a Transformer, especially when it's a two-headed dragon. But yeah, Abominus, very... Very good, especially when you see the name of the combiner that he's up against that is perhaps the most boring name of the lot. (laughs) So the Technobots then retreat and ask Grimlock for
0: advice. And this is when Grimlock reveals that they too are combiners, commanding them to merge into... Computron!
1: I mean that just sounds like something that you go and buy from PC World is all right what I'm gonna say. It's like, ah yeah, have you have you got the new Computron? You see, I heard Computron and immediately the first thing I thought of was who has said that word in future armour? Yeah, oh there's got to be something called Computron in Future Armour. Yeah, it is the most kind of like hokey sci-fi future name <laughs> of anything ever. But uh, hey, you know, I mean, you know, I guess Gr- Grimlock's new brain didn't extend to good names for things. So,
0: <laughs> I mean, Grimlock probably would have gone, that's the least of our worries. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we come to find out that the computational capacity of Computron is massive, yet also now at this point is claiming a lack of intelligence to feed it. This is when Grimlock effectively connect, connects himself to Computron's head, which then transfers all of the super intelligence that Grimlock has acquired earlier in this episode into Computron. And now armed with said incredible intelligence, Computron is able to defeat Abominus. And using... Alright, I have to try to think of a way to write this down, Andy. Because the way that this battle ends, I did not expect. But effectively, is using intense vibrations to cause Abominus to decombine and
1: separate. Yeah, this is, it's why they're called the Technobots. It's their techno... They, Transformers also invented techno music, we've learned. And that's that's how they defeat the, the Terracons, in my head canon at the very least. <laughs> this sends the Decepticons running.
0: And this is when Galvatron says, Who is that? To which we get the response from our new Autobot combiner. Name, Computron. Primary goal, obliterate Decepticons. Which, great line. Great line of dialogue. We then cut back to Cybertron and Rodimus is holding a celebration for the newly functioning Generator and the creation of the Technobots and smart Grimlock's efforts. However, Sludge now reveals at this point that Grimlock is back to normal and is fishing with the Dinobots. And Grimlock says that being a genius all the time is no fun and he'd rather be a regular Dinobot. And the Autobots cheer his statement, apparently preferring that their one-bot engine of destruction, as the TF wiki put it, is a simple-minded one, as he holds a fish randomly as the show goes off air.
1: <laughs> you see, I-, I really wish that they'd made a gag out of, like, what are they transferred, like... Grimlock's new intelligence to Computron that he'd also accidentally also transferred the bit where he really likes fishing. And that the, <laughs> the end of this episode would have just been like Computron also like fishing with the Dinobots and just splashing around <laughs> having a good time. But... Uh... So I, I
0: really enjoyed the whole creation of the Computron stuff and that whole battle and the, the Terracons and Abominus and whatnot. I really, really enjoyed this episode as a whole. But uh, but, but that's, that's sort of like final third of the episode. Your thoughts on it, because I appreciate it. I've done a lot of the talking here.
1: Yeah, I mean, as long as we pretend the key to Vector Sigma never happened, it was, <laughs> it was a good episode. Because, yeah, like apparently now, you know, you can just... To be fair, like I would say... If there's anywhere where you can set a we've randomly made some new transformers kind of inside unicron kind of makes sense because we've seen that he had the capability to create new transformers or kind of you know recreate from dead ones so it's like yeah maybe there's still a bunch of transformer bits floating around in unicron's head i can i can just about buy into this i guess it's fine um but yeah it's 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 a good it's a good fun episode like you know good to see grimlock getting some some quality time to, to do some to do some stuff. Like, yeah, the whole new brain angle um, works really well. It, it's a really nice and tidy way to get him back to normal as well. Like, again, it's like I was saying, this, this is like the cartoon classic where usually th- the way of reverting that character to type is like, oh, we've got to do whatever made him smart again, and it'll just make him stupid, which is always really boring and doesn't make much sense. Whereas at least this had a good, like, narrative through line of like, no, there's a good... There's a good reason he goes back to normal and he, like, sacrifices his intelligence so that others may live. Um, and so, it's, it's, it's... Given how much we often complain about endings to episodes here, this one actually felt pretty well paced out and planned out and felt quite satisfying as a result. Definitely,
0: as far as pacing goes, when it comes to... Because, let's face it, Andy, this is, you could argue if they'd have wanted to stretch this out for far longer, this could have easily been a two-parter, because a lot happens in this, but like you just mentioned, the pacing worked really well. It didn't feel rushed. It felt very natural for a conclusion. And also, in terms of character development for Grimlock, I thought it was just a fantastic episode for that.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, it really works in, in those lines. And yeah, I mean, you almost wish that this was a two-parter where they'd given a similar kind of love to the Terracons and had... Because, I mean, it feels like they're interesting enough, like, designs and the whole abominous thing... It's like, that feels like that should have a good origin story for how that came about. Like, did the Decepticons visit some alien planet and find some anti-matter that could make some Transformers or something? Like, it feels like there's a story there that is untold, and it would have been good as a a two-parter to do something with that, to be like, hey, look, here's the Terracons um and and you do wonder whether that was like planned at some point and just shelved given the way they just turn up but uh but no what 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 is here is good um so yeah like it was it was it was a fun time and now we advance to the tf
0: wiki to get some some interesting notes about this episode first of all andy i feel the, the need to point out that um the final draft of this script was completed in, uh, sorry, in September of 1986, with the script finalised by Marv Wolfman, who's written a previous episode and was the creator of the very popular arc of Teen Titans that we had mentioned previously before as well. But also, apparently, the original English title of this episode was Creation of the Technobot.
1: Yeah, which, I mean, you, you can see, from a, a marketing perspective, slapping Grimlock's name on the title is, is way more fun and is going to draw people in a lot more. And And to be fair... This does feel more like a Grimlock episode than a "We've Created New Characters" episode. I mean, the Technobots almost—they're not—they're not a footnote in this episode, but they're kind of not the main thrust of it. Like, it, it would be very much burying the lead not for, for for Grimlock not to be like the headline of this episode. Hmm. As you mentioned, this was indeed the final appearance of Cosmos. Uh, fair, farewell, dear
0: friend. <laughs> Talking about the Skuxoid, as we have talked about before, previously appeared in both Five Faces of Darkness and the Starscream's Ghost episode. Again, working as a freelance agent for Galvatron.
1: (laughs) That's what we'd have learned by now, but you know, he's got got to feed his wife and kids, as he wants to say. There you go. And
0: Slizardo, it has been a while. Apparently it was season two's The Gambler involving Devcon that was the episode.
1: Yeah, there you go. Yeah, so I, I imagine we won't see him again either. But uh, yeah, there's that, like I say, I, I do like that. There's that continuity of using these like incidental characters who could otherwise have been forgotten.
0: Hmm. Also, as a TF Wiki uh, suitly puts it, Ratbat appears, but where's Soundwave? Yeah, maybe on on a mission with Omega Supreme. <laughs> I don't know. So unicron's head is shown to no longer orbit cybertron after the events of ghost in the machine saw it blasted off into space it's also looking substantially worse for wear than it was the last time we saw it presumably as a consequence of the explosives that were set off in its immediate vicinity in that episode
1: yeah yeah that that was because i had that moment of like wait did didn't look this damaged before and then yeah i kind of well again this is one of those episodes where it's hard to tell whether that was a deliberate thing or like did you just not animate it very well because this, this is an okay episode by season three standards but it's not great it gets a little bit iffy in places
0: the anti-electrons as we noted during our recap andy have a note on Rodimus prime the second time as it causes the transformation systems to malfunction and he briefly reverts back into hot rod this is not an error. In addition to transforming into his junior self's vehicle mode, his colouring changes to Hot Rod's traditional magenta, and actor Dick Gortier, I hope I pronounced that right, raises his voice in pitch to his normal Hot Rod voice too. It's one in a series of incidents that sees Rodimus revert to Hot Rod, presumably to push the toy.
1: Yeah, yeah, it makes it makes sense. I mean, okay, those are the little things that sort of like an interesting you'd love to be able to delve really deep into this to be like whether there was like a mandate of you've got to get x amount of hot rod in this series as well somehow or whether this was just the writers like being like oh well we should this is an opportunity to do this like I'd love to know kind of because it's such a little moment like it's barely noticeable um like unless somebody points it out to you but the fact that it was a deliberate thing is is kind of quite fascinating
0: Also, Scattershot displays his often-forgotten third mode, a stationary artillery piece, during this episode. Hmm. Speaking of the Technobots, when it comes to their introductions, here are each of their introductory lines, Andy. Strafe. Yahoo! It feels great to be a Technobot! My name's Strafe! Next person. Far out! Fantastic! I'm Afterburner! I'm raring to burn neutrons and see some heavy action! Then Lightspeed responds with "Mellow out, afterburner." Afterburner says, "Says who?" Then Lightspeed goes, "They call me Lightspeed, faster than a speeding photon." At which point Grimlock then cuts in and just says, "And you, Scattershot, shall be the leader of the Technobots." <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, we can't be bothered thinking of a snappy line for you, so we shall just we shall just move <laughs> on. Uh, also, Lightspeed's introduction has, has made me think, like, "Where's Blur gone? We don't really see a lot of Blur these days." <laughs>
0: I mean, look, after he went with, with Daniel to try and find the thing for Ultra Mag- try Magnus' birthday, we've not well, actually was, seen him again since.
1: That was Wheelie, wasn't it? Not, not oh, Blur. sorry. Oh, yeah. Where would Blur be, then? But, yeah, on, on a mission with Omega Supreme, I don't know. But, yeah, like I feel like he's turned up... I, I wonder whether he's just too exhausting to, like, voice or write dialogue for. Because <laughs> it feels like he was quite... You know, he's one of the big new characters they introduced in the movie. And then season three... We got a bunch of him early on in Five Faces of Darkness, but other than that, they've used him very sparingly. So yeah, not that I miss him. I don't really like Blur that much, but it's just notable by his absence. Continuity
0: errors. So as you've just been alluding to, Andy, during our discussion, the creation of the TextaBot seems to conflict the premise established by the Key to Vector Sigma episodes, as it is established in that in that story that the supercomputer Vector Sigma is required to give personalities to Transformers, but here the technobots get personalities independently of it. We might hand wave it, as the TF wiki say, uh, by saying that the super smart Grimlock simply has the skill needed to program full authentic cybernetic personalities into the technobots on his own, with the introduction of the concept of sparks in much later fiction, and the reclassification of Vector Sigma as a conduit to the AllSpark, the events of this episode are called into question again. I will say, I had no idea that Vector Vector Sigma was reclassified as AllSpark. That's just a random bit of new info to me there.
1: Yeah, well, I guess, I mean, that's just kind of... That became the thing, uh, you know, in later versions of Transformers, where they sort of, you know, you, you, the, the Michael Bay movies, like that's the their sort of creation matrix. So yeah, I think everything, everything kind of shifted to that being like the origin of Transformer souls or whatever at some stage. Hmm. A couple of additional notes about
0: this, uh, this note we've just been describing: notes that the discrepancy is shared with every
1: single other episode in which new Transformers are shown being created. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, they basically just do whatever they need. It's it's the weird thing, in fact, about the fact that key to vector sigma even exists because it just makes it, on paper, far more difficult to create new transformers. So everyone else just ignores it to do whatever they need.
0: So there's an ask vector prime note here, which I know we sort of mentioned in passing in a previous episode. Uh, just quickly looking at the TF Wiki for clarification, this is sort of like a letters page in some ways. That was there, like sort of an, an explanation element that was created in, for Transformers, effectively. So many years later, as the TF Wiki says, Ask Vector Prime would offer an explanation for the alternate continuity at uh, Wings Universe version of the cartoon. What the heck is the Wings Universe? Hang on. <laughs> So, Wings Universe is a Generation 1 universe based loosely on the original cartoon. It has been depicted in fan publications, comics, and prose stories, the first of which was titled Wings of Honor. Understood? Never heard of it myself, to be honest. Yeah, no, likewise. So, for, for the alternate continuity Wings Universe version of the cartoon, that Grimlock had been able to use Unicron's lifeblood to generate sparks for the Technobots in the same way that, that Primus's lifeblood could. Does that make sense to you? Because Effectively, he's just used a bit of Unicron's blood. That's just the easy way to sum it up.
1: Yeah, yeah. And again, I mean, that, that almost ties into like the comic continuity where like Primus and Unicron were sort of like, I talked about it before, like the god and Satan of this world. And they both had the ability to create as a result of that. So yeah, I mean, there, there are certainly plenty of ways you can hand wave away the, the problem there. A few trivia
0: notes while the episode is centred around Grimlock, he never actually transforms once out of his dinosaur mode. (laughs) Yeah,
1: that's a fair point. There were definitely some moments where it felt really strange that they didn't do that. Like, whether they just couldn't be bothered to animate his robot mode, or they just thought it was way funnier to have a super smart talking dinosaur who can say...
0: The device that Grimlock invents to transfer his intelligence into Computron was later rendered in plastic and included with the Super Collection Figure PVC version of Grimlock. It would subsequently be recreated in plastic again for the Masterpiece version of Grimlock, which was specifically dubbed as the Brainwave Transfer Device. Hmm. Voice actor Greg Berger has stated that while this was the most difficult episode for him to do, in that it required him figuring out how an intelligent Grimlock should actually sound, it was also an episode he enjoyed working on the most, as it shows him using his Skyfire voice for Grimlock's intelligence voice, as you noted earlier. There you go. Anti electrons. In this episode, they are clearly meant to be techno babble sounding fictional substance and similar, with an adverse effect on electronics rather than the positrons that
1: resist in reality and are known as anti electrons. Yeah, so uh, Transformers inventing actual science things as well. Uh. <laughs> Transformers invented science! Yeah. <laughs> and to conclude our talk on this episode,
0: Andy, foreign localization. So, in Brazil. This episode was known as Grimlock's New Brain. In French, this episode was known in the... Sorry, more specifically the Canadian-French broadcast and the European-French DVD release. This episode was known as Grimlock's New Intelligence. It was known as Grimlock's New Brain in a number of things, including Japan. But there is an important note here, Andy, about the Japanese promotion for this episode, which you need to hear. (laughs) Artwork for this episode, featured in TV magazine, showed Grimlock wearing a mortar board and lecturing on something complicated.
1: I-, I hope this image exists somewhere that we can. <laughs> it does. It, it is on the TF Wiki, and for the benefit of the
0: video viewers, I will. Uh, I will add it into the edit now as it were but for the purposes of a of discussion right now i will quickly send you a link to it so you can have a quick gander but yes
1: it yeah. is a it's a wonderful image Ah, uh, yeah that is that is that is that is wonderful yeah i mean if, if, if you wanted to promote this episode that's exactly how you should do it so kudos to that there you go do You
0: know, oh, actually, you know what i might do i might actually put this in the thumbnail image for the episode this yeah, seems ab- thumbnail
1: worthy. Ab- absolutely. Like, I almost wish we'd called this podcast "Grimlocks New Brain" now because we could have just used that. Literally, everything.
0: Isn't that amazing what to think what we think of as we get nearly to the end of this entire run? You know, yeah. If only, <laughs> if only we knew. Final note, then. Uh, in the Secret Files of Teletrans segment at the end of the episode, there was a segment unique to Japan attached to this one. The segment focused on Bruticus, Menasaur, and Superion. It replaced the original file on the US broadcast, which was Ultra Magnus-focused. The original segment
1: was never used in the Japanese broadcast of the series. Yeah, so J- J- Japan realized like, an Ultra Magnus is boring. Like, Look at these cool <laughs> big robots. <laughs> I would love to hear the discussion as to why that wasn't used, but there we go. But
0: so there we go, everyone for that particular episode, Andy really enjoyed it in terms of introducing a bunch of new characters, the terracons they'll get their due. We'll talk about that in a few moments though. Like I said, continuity error probably coming up, but in terms of an introduction for the technobots, it's showing off Grimlock, just being a fun story that also involved a bit of Unicron. Thumbs up from me. Really like this.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's good fun. Like, you know, it's, it kind of shows what this series can do when it wants to kind of blend a slightly kind of goofy comedic comedic element and also do some more serious story stuff. Like sometimes this show goes too far one way or the other and it maybe doesn't quite work, but this one this one kind of pretty much nails it. So yeah, it's is a good good fun one. Now
0: we advance to season 3 episode 25, Money is everything. When it comes to this episode, Andy, to begin with, in terms of, well, a couple of things. First of all, Animation Studio for this one was Toei. As a note here, as noted on the TF wiki. In terms of the writers for this episode, it was by Carla and Jerry Conway. Quick bit of background on both of them. Carla Conway is an American writer. In addition to the Transformers, she also wrote episodes of G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero, Centurions, My Little Pony and Friends, and Conan the Adventurer. Prior to writing an animation, she wrote comics, including issues of Ms. Marvel, Superman, and Firestorm. And at this point, also worth noting, is now the the ex-wife of fellow writer Jerry Conway, but also wrote the episode Forever is a Long Time Coming, also with Jerry Conway. When it comes to Jerry Conway himself, an American writer was originally a comic book writer and is probably best remembered for writing Spider-Man's infamous Death of Gwen Stacy storyline. So, pretty big one. His prolific output includes hundreds of Marvel and DC books and helped create a number of enduring characters, including The Punisher, Vixen, Power Girl, Firestorm, Ms. Marvel, Man-Thing, Killer Croc, Jason Todd, who would go on to be one of the Robins and later Red Hood and Batman continuities, and countless others. Also serving as Marvel's editor-in-chief, succeeding Marvel Wolfman, he turned to writing for television starting out for scripts for The Transformers, G.I. Joe, and Centurions, later moved on to live-action dramas like Diagnosis Murder and Law and & Order, and was also apparently a producer on Law & Order Criminal Intent.
1: See, somehow that makes way more sense than I feel like it should, like having I watched know. this episode. It's like, yeah, yeah, I can I can see that trajectory. That makes a for a sensible career path.
0: I know, and also, given the way this episode ends up and the, the human drama involved, I just kind of read that and thought yeah, I see that. Literally. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> On to the episode itself. Out near the moon, that being Earth's moon, it should be said, I believe, the trader ship Lazy Sue is under-attacked by Hunger, the Terracon, who is very hungry. The ship's pilot, who we come to find out is named Dirk Manus great name for a trader, calls for help. The EDC, the Earth Defense Corps, sends Marissa Fairbourne out to assist with Scattershot and Strafe, the two Technobots, backing her up. Should be noted, Andy, that the way I've written this down is, as far as I'm concerned, the Technobots have been alive for five minutes, and already at the beginning of this episode, Scattershot is complaining about having been assigned to Earth to help them out. <laughs> and whatnot. It's like, oh, come on, more than five minutes without complaining about something.
1: Yeah, like it's your first full day on the job and you're already complaining about the things you're being asked to do. It's like, come on, get get get, get, get with it.
0: Unfortunately, Strafe gets confused and ends up shooting down the Lazy Sue Tradership. While Scattershot is grabbed by Hunger which, you know, ultimately Andy seems like a good choice of backup, doesn't it, by Marissa having these two with her. But Fairborn then calls Autobot City, and Nosecone, Afterburner, and Lightspeed, the remaining technobots, head out to help their comrades. The other three technobots manage to arrive in good time and drive off hunger accordingly. As the Autobots and Marissa are having a quick debrief of the situation, Manus is unseen at this point, buries something near his ship. He then introduces himself, hitting on Marissa Fairborn, who's a little flustered by the whole situation, and the Autobots assume that him kissing her on the hand is just an odd human custom. I will say, Technobots, you're not wrong. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Dirk Manus then claims that hunger may have attacked him due to his discovery of a Quintesson base near the planet Saturn. This raises alarm bells for Marissa because it's a base inside the solar system that they weren't aware of, quite frankly. But because Manus is a trader, he's not offering up up any more information for free, oh no no no, and offers them a deal. You could say, a very predictable deal. Pay me some money, I'll give you the info. Who'd have thunk it, Andy? What such, you know, such negotiation tactics. The Technobots then form Computrom. Now, the reason for this, as Marissa puts it, is that they will keep in that form until, quote, they decide whether to trust you. In Computron mode, Technobots have the computational ability of 200 supercomputers. When it comes to calculating odds, Computron rarely makes a mistake. Quote.
1: I, I mean, really, that's that's probably the, the real reason why they sent sent him to Earth, just to, like, send Computron to Las Vegas for a bit. Just <laughs> Get, get him to play some blackjack it'll be it'll be great all of our problems will be solved <laughs> I,
0: I do feel it odd but it's like they made 200 supercomputers try and calculate is this trader telling the truth
1: yeah I mean that's <laughs> like you, you kind of where's the autobot that transforms into a, a lie detector machine because <laughs> that's what they really need. Yeah.
0: That said, when she is pressed for her opinion on the matter, she also basically makes it known in quite frank terms, I don't trust you either. So, what's it ultimately worth? I'll tell you what it's worth, Andy, because Computron concludes it's 89% probable that the base that Dirk Manus has mentioned is real, and with that in mind, they should repair his ship and pay the fee he is asking for. However, Marissa Fairbourne decides to keep Manus nearby at which point we cut to the evening where marissa and manis are now at a fancy place having dinner and manis uses the opportunity to want to try and dance with marissa who doesn't know how to dance which also ends up then being a chance to try and teach her how to dance
1: yeah this is this is exactly the kind of stuff that we come to watch transformers for so um, <laughs> yeah fa- fantastic content <laughs>
0: Much later in the evening, we cut back to the location of Dirk's ship and Manus has now unearthed what we, the viewer, saw him bury earlier. It's a container. I won't lie, Andy. When I saw the container, I first thought, oh, for crying out loud, this is another Quintus on Journal (laughs) episode that's gone out of order. But no, it is not. (laughs) We then see him contacting his clients on radio, who turn out to be the quintessons at this point my brain thinking you've got to be joking me how is there another episode about this now apparently it was the quintessons that sent hunger to ambush manus who is now demanding triple his original payment fee or they don't get the recreator as he called it an object that based on dialogue is crucial to the quintessons operation in the solar system all sounding very familiar. But this doesn't raise... This was the first alarm bell for me, Andy, of what's the Terracon's origin at this point? Because I was now very confused based on the previous episode.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is... There's kind of like... There's a part of me that's like, oh, maybe this is like an Insecticon kind of deal where they don't really work for... You know they they don't work for anyone specifically. They are freelance. Like, yeah, basically <laughs> they're like free agents to work for whatever like nefarious beings they like, or maybe Galvatron. I mean, because foolishly perhaps, like the Decepticons do keep helping out the Quintessons with various things. So you know maybe they ask like, hey, we need we need to borrow some muscle. Like, you know, who can we have? And they're like, oh, these new guys that just turned up, we don't know where they came from, but you can have them for a bit. Um, So, you know, maybe Galvatron, like, hired them out for a, a, a very reasonable rate. So, yeah, who can say? The Quintessons, though,
0: are concerned about the Technobots, but Dirk decides that he'll lead them into an ambush unfortunately he wasn't very careful about saying all of this and having this conversation because marissa fairborn arrives has overheard everything and has a gun pointed at dirk unfortunately he has a little tiny hand like less than hand sized micro blaster as a tf wiki put it of his own which he uses to disarm her and after a brief scuffle he leaves with a recreator in hand, and we come to find out, despite it not being shown at all, that somehow Marissa was also just left tied up in a desert on a cactus, which I bet hurt.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's, especially given the the things to come in this episode, I mean, that's not really, I, I would not put that in my top 10 ways to impress a girl, is like tie them <laughs> up to a cactus of all things. And so, uh, but you know, who, who who am I to say? We then cut to
0: the next morning and in space we see that Scattershot, Lightspeed and Strafe have now flown off alongside the Lazy Sue, Dirk Manus' ship, who is calculating his profits from this endeavour. We then cut back down to Earth and see that Marissa has been able to free herself from her bonds, having, as mentioned, been left in the desert seemingly, and somehow, conveniently, the other two technobots are just driving by and she is just able to get their attention. Won't dwell on it, it happens. I'll note now for the purposes of continuity, amongst in everything that's going to happen shortly, there is a random cutaway scene where we see that the other Technobots and Marissa are now on their way to Saturn too. So just to say that before we go any further. Back in space, heading towards Saturn, the Technobots are excited to finally be travelling in space, having been assigned to Earth by by Rodimus Prime, as mentioned earlier but their daydreaming is cut short when they are attacked by Abominus, the combined form of the Terracons. The three bots are shot down in quite spectacular fashion, it's got to be said, by the, Decept- the Decepticon Combiner, who then goes for the Lazy Sue. However, and advance warning, this is potentially where some of the episode broadcast timeline awkwardness may be about to happen from my point of view, Andy. But we then basically arrive at a Quintesson base and Abominus suddenly separates into the, each terracom respectively. Ripper Snapper, which is a great name for a Transformer, and Cutthroat, another great name for a Transformer, are visibly upset by this. Because it turns out that the Quintessons have installed an automatic timer of some kind, which forces them to separate as they are working for the Quintessons. Yeah. Hmm. Again, this is just me trying to figure out exactly where they stand as a unit. It's not entirely clear.
1: No, no. I mean, it feels like, again, this feels like either there was an episode that got cut at some point or we just never really cared and we're just like, ah, we just need to use these characters. Whatever. Um, but yeah, it's, it's good to know. I like to imagine that there's just something, like, attached to the back of Abominus that's just a little bit like an egg timer and it suddenly <laughs> just goes off and they're just like, ping, and then they just, like, separate Um, But yeah, I guess it's it's not the first time we've seen this sort of, you know, some kind of like transformer inhibitor device. So at least that part of it makes sense even if the rest of it is a little confusing. Fair point. Dirk then shows the recreator to the Quintessons who
0: decide to test it on the other Terracon I've not mentioned yet, which as far as name goes, Andy, I would never have guessed this in the world based on the other names. It's Blot.
1: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) i mean when you've created so many cool names in short order like i guess at some point you're just gonna run dry i feel i feel like somebody just like spilled some ink at the end of the list and they're like oh maybe blots there you go <laughs> so what is the recreator well it
0: dematerialized blot and then reforms him it is specifically called a molecular disassembler good tongue twister if you ever want to try and say that fast a few times when you're drunk Dirk explains that the device has also cured Blot of any injuries he may have received. Keep that in mind for later. Impressed by this, the Quintessons agree to pay Dirk. And he, Dirk then reaches for a handshake for the Quintessons to conclude the deal, which you could argue, bit dumb, no hands, but whatever. And he then, during that point, drops a little device onto the Recreator. Which we come to find out, Andy, as the TF wiki have said, is a micro sized nuclear nullifier
1: there's some cool devices in this episode is all right say. <laughs> like the, the whole the, this the, the whole idea of a thing that can like dematerialize dematerialize and rematerialize people but like minus their injuries illnesses etc that's a really cool concept like it's not the usual like You know, it's not the usual kind of um, like teleporter kind of idea. It's like, ah, something a little bit different. And then, yeah, now we have like tiny nuclear devices. What could possibly go wrong? (laughs) As the two sides part ways,
0: under their respective breaths, we hear the following. Dirk Manor saying, slimy worm-fingered creep. And the Quintesson saying under his breath, unlikable dry-skinned biped. (laughs) Just some great put-down lines here. as it turns out, it was a wise move that Manus touched the nullifier device because the Quintessons gave him a giant box of money, which turns out, Andy, to be mimic dust, as it's called in the show, rather than real gold. I freaking love the idea of there being mimic dust. What a great concept!
1: Yeah, yeah, this is like, it's, this is the equivalent of like buying something off of eBay and you just get like a box with a brick in it, I guess. Um, <laughs> and it's like, but I'm, I'm always a good fan of like a good double cross and a double double cross and a triple cross and all of that stuff. And if there's one thing this episode has a lot of, it's that. And yeah, I, I was very, I very much enjoyed the, uh, the, the the fruit of this transaction and everything that transpires out of it. This is when Manus activates the nullifier, only to discover
0: that the Quintessons have placed a bomb on his ship. Bit excessive, you could argue, sure. Which goes off, and then at this point, this is one of my, I think one of my favourite ep- moments in this episode, Andy. Because clearly the Quintessons saw Dirk place this little nullifier device right on top of the freaking thing. Because then what we get is a shot of the top of the, of this recreator with the thing on top of it. And just a tentacle arm, just basically just gently swipe it away.
1: <laughs> yeah, just brush it off. That's all that's all that was required. Uh, at which point,
0: Dirk then goes, A triple cross! <laughs> <laughs> just great moments in this. Dirk ends up surviving the crash of his ship that results, only to discover the tech the bots did as well. And they're quite angry, it's got to be said. As he protests his innocence, Dirk then shouts to look out behind them. But quite rightly at this point, the Tector bots are like, look, dude, shut up. We're not going to believe you. At which point he's shot in the back by a shark to come. <laughs>
1: just, just can't yeah. catch a break. Yeah. Again, another one of those kind of classic moments that I always enjoy of the like, he's behind you. It's like, I'm not falling for that one again. And it's like, no, actually, he is literally behind you. Um, always, always a good time.
0: The Technobots manage to bring down a giant set of thorny vines from where they've landed, quite frankly, down on top of the Sharktacons, but their escape is cut short when they reach the edge of a cliff. Fortunately, Nose Conan after Burner then arrive and drive off the Sharktacons. Marissa's ship then arrives, and she jumps out, leading to the following dialogue exchange. Dirk saying, Fairborn, you're fantastic. Marissa responds with, Yes, So are you, Dirk. Then uppercuts him in the jaw. (laughs) Manus then says, What was that for? At which point, Fairborn just goes, Do you want a list? (laughs) It's like, if ever there was a, a moment of, Dude, what do you mean, what was that for? Like...
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, oh, I mean. To be fair, given that there was a significant laundry list of things it could have been for, it's fair to ask whether that was for a specific in- instance <laughs> or just a more generalised uppercut. So I, I guess I guess I can get behind that.
0: Oh, so just actually specifically going, what was that specifically for?
1: Yeah, yeah. Like, am I going to get punched again? Like, just so that I can <laughs> measure this out properly. Should I? Should I tense my jaw? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Marissa at this point is just advocating to leave Dirk to rot, but he warns them all about the Recreator, and even though that their injuries are preventing them from becoming Computron, the Tektobots decide that they have no choice but to trust him. After a little trudging through a forest, we get the following dialogue exchange. Manus says to Marissa, You really hate me, don't you? Fairborn responds with, Whatever gave you that idea? And then Dirk says, All I ever wanted was the money, Fairborn. It was never anything personal. I like you. Marissa then's respon- then responds with, I know, that's why I'm mad. You see, in spite of all you've done, part of me almost likes you too. And at that exact moment, she's grabbed by a random vine from a tree and Manus leaps into the air to try and save her and rewards himself by stealing a kiss. Then kisses her again.
1: Then steals her gun, <laughs> and did, now we did, have a hostage situation. Yeah, did I mention this is the worst love story ever told? <laughs> because, seriously, uh, oh yeah, this this part of the episode is it, it, it's a lot. Also, that kiss was really badly animated. Understand. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> that's that's what made it funnier to me. Is like if like even the animators went into it, they're like, "What really? Oh, fine, well." We'll just do that like five o'clock on a Friday, I guess. And at this point, hostage situation,
0: the technobots surrender themselves to Manus, at which Manus, at which point Manus then says, sometimes I'm so clever I can't stand it. (laughs) Currently at this point, everyone, in terms of humans you want to punch, he's really up there. Gotta be said. At the Quintesson base, Dirk attempts to renegotiate his contract, which I don't know how he could have done that, Andy, because I thought the deal was done, but so be it. Which even the Quintessons are surprised he is trying to do, given what happened earlier. So, you know, not everyone's entirely thinking stupidly here, only him. He then says, what was I going to do? Flag a cab? I'm a couple of billion miles away from the nearest starport, pal. And besides, you've got my money marissa is disgusted at the fact that all he cares about is money and is then horrified when dirk uses the recreator to vaporize the tectobots and this in if you want anime equivalent stories here andy this is when this is the the dragon ball z going super saiyan equivalent of marissa being angry because she's really angry, and she just wants to get Manus's head, and she's trying to duck and weave in between Terracons and stuff, but in the end, it's just overpowered, picked up by one of them, and just dropped onto the ground, just unceremoniously. And just as the Terracons decide that she would make a good lunch, Manus then reforms the Technobots, who, shortly before what occurred, the Technobots had a feeling something might be up with what's going on here, But crucially, because they've now been reassembled, all of their injuries have been healed as well. The Quintesson is very angry by what's happened. So much so, it ends up doing... doing a Galvatron, I guess is the way to put it, and just picks it up and throws the recreator on the ground. (laughs) It's like that's not how you do this, buddy. You really shouldn't. Yeah, you're not really fixing anything by doing this. <laughs> the Technobot promptly then trans sorry, the Technobots, excuse me, promptly then transform into Computron. As Computron and Abominus now duke it out together. Of which Computron estimates, Andy, which I thought was an interesting note, that they have a 48.027% chance of winning in a one-on-one fight against Abominus.
1: Yeah, so so much so much for Grimlock's smart plan of like you're the only thing that can de- defeat Abominus It's like, no, apparently <laughs> no, that you miscalculated that one. Maybe you weren't so smart after all, smart Grimlock. <laughs> Dirk then
0: reveals to Marissa that he brought the Technobots there so that he could then heal them. But he didn't want to tell them because quote unquote, you're not much of an actress, Fairborn. And he also wanted her reactions to be real. Computron then detects the timer placed on Abominus, fires a blast, causing Abominus to separate. Needs to be said, Andy. We mentioned that Toei are animating this episode. Some great animation here when this shot is fired and and the Terracons just separate. Really great moment of animation. With the Terracons separated and a, a combined Computron still in front of them, the Terracons fly off in one direction, the Quintessons in another. We then cut back to Earth. And the EDC decides to let Manus leave with the Lazy Sue spaceship without any reward due to EDC policies. I called BS on that, Andy.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's probably—I'm sure there's there's some documentation around what isn't isn't allowed. Like, I can I, I can buy that. I can buy that. So Marissa is talking to Manus
0: outside the ship, but Lightspeed arrives saying that the currency that the EDC confiscated has been stolen. Marissa immediately assumes it's Dirk, who Dirk then proceeds to steal another kiss from Marissa, basically then just literally drops her on the ground where she's standing, and then just takes off in the ship and leaves. What a dick. Marissa however says they shouldn't bother pursuing him, and then we then cut back to Dirk on the ship, and he's about to look at all of the money that he's got inside this very familiar looking box we may have seen a few scenes earlier Andy. He opens it, Realizes it's mimic dust, but instead of being upset, he merely laughs and is, and is impressed that Marissa outsmarted him.
1: Yeah, I'm. You'd have thought after having had that happen once, he might have checked the second time. But <laughs> hey ho. I appreciate it. Kind of sounds like. I wasn't enjoying
0: most of this. I've gotta say, as I was watching this episode, I was genuinely enjoying it. I was not a fan of just Dirk constantly just stealing a kiss from Fairborn. That's just wrong, quite frankly. But in terms of just characters, he did remind me of Oh, what's his name from X-Men? A Corsair of the Star Jammers and X-Men, or or in, in current MCU terms, almost someone kind of like a Star Lord from Guardians of the Galaxy. Just kind of like that guy that will just do whatever to try and get out of the situation
1: and get his own way. Yeah, well, there's a, sort of a bit of a, like, sort of hand Solo element to it as well, right? Go. Of that kind of, mm. like, space... is that classic kind of space mercenary who, yeah, well, like, gets all the girls and, all the, you know, is always dealing and double dealing and all of that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, th- this is one of those weird episodes where I'm half expecting you to crop up with a TF wiki bit saying oh yeah this was actually an episode that was written for something that was not Transformers and then was kind of transplanted into Transformers cuz you could you could take the Technobots and Terracons and Quintessons out of this and you'd still have like a workable like sci-fi story of you know the double crossing the earth defense force stuff like you could transplant this into like star trek or whatever and it would kind of work without the transformers element and it is, it is kind of fun like the dirk marissa the way those two characters are written is kind of dumb because even though dirk is like constantly double crossing like marissa etc she's still like oh but i still like you and it's like no, that's not, <laughs> that doesn't make sense at all. Um but, but yeah, you know it's... why? Cuz he's a rebel and she has to stick to
0: everything by the book, that's why. Yeah,
1: and that's the thing. Like it's that really kind of cliched sort of thing of like, you know, he's, he's he's a bad boy so everybody loves him kind of thing and it's like, nah, I'm not I'm not really into that part. But generally speaking, yeah, like he's he's a fun character. Again, you you could absolutely have like some kind of spin-off of him just, you know, doing his thing. I don't know why we didn't have any swindle in this episode, though. I mean, if you want, <laughs> if you want a transformer to kind of come into all the midst of all this wheeling and dealing and you know, subterfuge, like surely you've got to have some swindle time in here. Um, but uh, but no, it was it was it was a good fun one. Um, it, it has some nice moments. I re- I really liked the Computron Abon, ab- I can say it, Abominous fight. Mm-hmm. Um, like that was that was really well done. It kind of as much as I poked a bit of fun at it for like Computron's percentage chance of success like it kind of it was kind of the payoff to the setup of the Grimlock's New Brain episode of like you know you're the only one that can defeat Abominus and you you get to see that in action um and it's a really fun kind of like super scientific supercomputer Computron decide what to do and Abominus just grunting and throwing things basically um and and all of that was enjoyable and really well animated that was kind of the highlight for me um but no it was it was a a good good fun one i i I did i did kind of kind of like it for for all of its foibles we now venture to the tf wiki let's see
0: what interesting notes we have about this episode flying autobots all five technobots are shown flying in robot mode in defiance of the usual Autobots Can't Fly convention, whether it's via the invisible rocket packs the Autobots seemingly sometimes use in Season 3, invisible in as so far as the animators never remember to draw them, or the handiwork of their temporarily super-intelligent creator Grimlock, who can also fly in robot mode during the season, it is open for debate. Marissa Fairborn states that the Quintessons etal are hiding out on Titan, which was previously shown in the God Gambit episode, to be populated by an indigenous race of humanoids. The moon has since been terraformed. There's a bit of continuity for you. Real world references. Set around Saturn and its moon Titan, the episode's artwork clearly draws on imagery from the Voyager spacecraft that had passed the planet a few years prior. Titan's orange cloud is reasonably well portrayed as Dirk tries to leave. Saturn's yellowish hue and highly complex ring system are fairly well drawn as well. Less accurate is the the brightly lit surface of Titan, which was more accurately portrayed in the near-twilight level of lighting back in The God Gambit. Mm. I, 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 I think the less accurate is the fact that the Quintessons are there. <laughs> <laughs> Continuity errors. The Terracons were last seen under Galvatron's command in Grimlock's new brain. Does he rent them out? <laughs> the extent of Dirk's scheming isn't really clear. As he's chatting by video phone with the Quintessons, he clearly notices Marissa behind him. He ends the call cutting off the Quintessons' questions about a Technobot, but then says just to show no hard feelings, I'll throw them in for free. Seemingly just for Marissa's benefit. If his intent was to bring the Technobots down to the Quintesson base, he could have just led them there without all the (laughs) double-crossery. With hundreds of Autobots on the roster, why would half the Technobots stay behind on Earth? Wouldn't it be tremendously inconvenient if they were attacked by Decepticons and couldn't unite?
1: Yeah, that that did seem incredibly bizarre to me. It's like, why would you split a combiner team? That's literally the point of them. <laughs> uh, they also highlight what tailgate
0: and wheelie weren't available to stay behind.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I imagine Risa was probably like, I don't want wheelie sticking around. Like, he can he can go, he can go crash his spaceship somewhere. Trivia notes. Duck plants the nuclear nullifier on
0: the recreator right in front of the quintessons. No wonder they were able to disable it. <laughs> the animation style randomly cha- changes at a few scant points from standard animation to more stylized types used on Call of the Primitives, implying that some of the scenes may have had to have been redone by a different studio or similar. This is most immediately visible after the final commercial break, during the scene where Lightspeed yells, Strafe, shoot here, and again during the battle between the two combiners. Now that it's mentioning it, I do remember a point where the animation, in fact, I think I said it, wasn't it? It was when the combiner, like, separated, wasn't it? That suddenly the animation for that just looked really top-notch.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you do wonder well, they they maybe like ran out of time and had to outsource some cuts elsewhere, and uh, yeah, maybe 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 they lucked out on those. This is
0: the only episode in season three where none of the major characters Rodimus Prime, Springer, Galvatron, etc., appear. Instead, they focus on the Technobot team and let every member get at least one or two lines of characterization in, generally well in line with their toy bios. Lightspeed is cool and competent but daydreamy, Afterburner is angry and impatient, Nosecone is slow and methodical, Strafe shoots without thinking. Yeah. Foreign Localisation a lot of the episode titles here, Andy, just do just translate quite literally to money is everything. A couple of differences though. In Germany, it was the beloved money. <laughs> in Mandarin, it was money talks. In the first dub in Italian, it was only for money. And in Japanese, Andy, it was black money.
1: No, yeah,
0: okay. I like, I like that. Additional note. It's always Japan that's got an additional note. The secret files of Teletran Two segment was unique to Japan in this episode. Their segment focused on the aerial bots, and it's a different. It's different from the segment attached to the face of Ni- of Nijika, which I think is an upcoming episode that we have, uh, which also focuses on the aerial bots. It replaced the U.S. secret files episode, which focused on the mini cassettes, and that segment was never shown in
1: Japan. Hmm. It's also weird because we get two consecutive episodes with the cassette one because Call of the Primitives also has that at the end, so it is kind of bizarre that it worked out that way. And a final note for this one, Andy, actually,
0: toys inspired by this episode. A figure composed entirely of reused and redecoed parts from other G.I. Joe figures that represents Marissa Fairborn and after an afterbreaker, which I believe is after Burner due to a trademark problem uh, was available exclusively through the fan publications transformers and gi joe collectors club online stores so there you go there was a little fun figure that was inspired by this episode
1: Hmm, that's fair they they didn't make a dirk one then (laughs) (laughs) no he has gone into the annals of time oh that is that that is sad it feels like he he, he should get his due but hey hey there we
0: go. So Andy, before we move on to our final episode of the day, any other notes you had noted down, any other observations or or would you like to proceed to no, to what it's... I'm sure you've been looking forward to discussing for quite a while?
1: Yeah, yeah, let's uh, let's 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 get to it. We now
0: advance to our final episode of the day, that being season 3 episode 26, Call of the Primitives. But before we get to the episode proper, <laughs> when it comes to the animation studios there are a few, there are a few notes regarding this, which we may delve into more as we get into the the sort of trivia notes proper. But at the top of the TF Wiki page, it says Toei and Studio Look were involved, but it does also have an additional thing of saying "see notes." So we may come back to that as we advance later on. In terms of the writer for the episode, it was Donald F. Glut, or Glut, however it's meant to be pronounced proper, who has written quite a few episodes of Transformers Andy. Divide and Conquer, SOS Dinobots, War of the Dinobots, Heavy Metal War, Autobot Spike, the two parters of Dinobot Island and Megatron's Master Plan, the Autobot Run. That was the episode we were thinking of earlier. Mm
1: -hmm, That was the one.
0: Uh, Masquerade, and obviously this one call of the primitives.
1: Hmm. I mean, that, that's quite interesting because there's quite a list of like heavy hitters in terms of episodes. There, things that either ended up on home video or two-parters. Like it feels like even from the get-go, this is one of the writers they bring in of like we want something a bit more kind of bombastic, something that will stick with people and not just kind of a throwaway affair. I completely agree. it
0: It also it, it also makes a lot of sense given. Just to put it bluntly, the quality of this episode it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, for sure. In terms of some background information on the writer in question, Glut is an American writer and filmmaker got his start writing for for Warren Horror Comics magazines of the 70s such as Creepy, Eerie and Vamp- Vampirella. He was also an amateur filmmaker through the 60s producing and writing and starring in several films based on popular si- silver he- uh, based on popular superheroes, excuse me, even playing the titular webhead in a 1969 Spider-Man fan film. <laughs> In addition to Transformers, he wrote many, many, many scripts for 80s cartoons, including G.I. Joe, Masters of the Universe, Spider-Man, His Amazing Friends, DuckTales, and The Mighty Orbots. A noted dinosaur enthusiast, Glute has written several non-fiction books about dinosaurs and also supervised the paleontological, if I can say that word right, accuracy of the 1993 film Carnosaur. Good job on that one, Glute. As a TF wiki wrote. He also wrote the best-selling novelization of *The Empire Strikes
1: Back*. Oh, okay, that's uh, that's interesting. It, also, this also explains why he wrote a whole bunch of Dinobot-focused episodes. <laughs> Clearly, he was like, "What? There are dinosaurs in this? Let me have it." <laughs> that that's kind of one of the reasons I wanted to bring this up because as soon as
0: I saw that, it's like, yep, yeah,
1: that makes a lot of sense already." Mm. Even yeah, even in terms of this episode, like as we will get to it, kind of it leans into the like. Dinosaurs are
0: cool, is basically his <laughs> angle when it comes down to it. It's almost like he knew, I'm writing a toy commercial. What do children really like? Dinosaurs? There are loads of dinosaur robots. I think I know what I'm doing.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let's get all the animal robots together, because that'll be awesome.
0: The episode begins with an, an ancient-looking laboratory and a sinister voice describing... His creation process as he brings energy, sorry, as he brings an energy creature into being. First, it's feeding off of a flame, then an Energon cube, and it's growing in size and power. And we come to find out it's called Tornadron. I won't lie, Andy, I heard that and I just thought, excuse me.
1: Yeah, I mean, it does sound like something you'd ask for at The Chemist, you know. It's just like, <laughs> you've, you've, you've got a bit of a bad stomach, it's like, have you got any Tornadron? I really I really need some.
0: <laughs> tornadron, his creator, is more than, than happy with the result that has happened. Tornadron flies forth into the universe as his creator gloats that he will succeed where the other, quote-unquote, had failed. We see Tornadron touching a comet and then leaving it just dark and bereft of energy. So there's clearly something afoot here. Quote unquote, if the Decepticons had any guts, we'd be taking a serious pounding, says Rodimus Prime as we cut to the moon where he and a bunch of his fellow Autobots that include Springer, Magnus Blaster and the Dinobots are outnumbered in quite a big scale firefight against the Decepticons led by Galvatron but the fighting stops for a moment until the decepticons make their next move known which was simply going on the offensive and the autobots then did what no one would expect they counter
1: attacked quite literally yeah nobody expected that like it's, <laughs> what, i mean it's 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 weird because if that was the other way around you could be like yeah you'd expect the decepticons to retreat at this point and it's surprising that they've counter attacked the other way around it's like well what else are they going to do? I mean, beyond the fact that I have no idea why we're fighting on the moon. Uh, it's just like, you know, there's <laughs> no... It, it's one of those weird kind of Transformers things where there's it, it doesn't even bother setting up the whys and the wherefores. It's just like, hey, look, cool, robot fight. And it's like, I'm here for it. Because we've not, we've not really had a lot of this in Season 3 either. Like, even taking this episode in the context of season three we've not had a whole bunch of kind of just Autobot v Decepticon firefights it's mostly been pretty localized one or two characters facing off or it's been Metroplex versus Triptychon or something like that but actually to have a kind of all hands we're just having a big old battle kind of is it feels like a bit of like a season one throwback where you'd have a, a whole lot more of that going on
0: yeah it was also actually quite refreshing to see as well just the scale of it
1: yeah, yeah, exactly. And again, th- this is the thing that, that I, I think has is, is always stuck with me around this episode is it has a scale to it. It feels like it wants to be Transformers the movie. And of course it can't be because it's like it's 20 minutes and it's a TV cartoon, but it has that feeling of what it wants to be. It wants to have big battles. It wants to have big stakes and... Season 3 has not done a whole lot of that. We've had a bit of it around kind of, you know, bringing the Unicron back to life and stuff, but Season 1, Season 2 and Season 3 haven't had much in the way of that kind of cataclysmic destroy the entire universe or, you know, an entire planet kind of thing that I always like about this show.
0: The fighting continues as we cut back to Cybertron where an alarm is going off, and Cup makes it known that they have a Stage 1 alert. The red comet that we saw a few scenes earlier has now landed on Cybertron. But it turns out to be more than just the comet, as it's now a freaking giant bug. A few Autobots tried to attack it, but the blasts from their guns are simply being drained by this new enemy. And it's growing too, as a result. It then completely drains the Autobots, and basically the entire planet, it just grows to being larger than the entire planet itself and we see just the planet turn gray meaning it's been completely drained of energy and everything on it has as well we then hear the mysterious voice from the first scene once again saying already tornadron you have done more than your predecessor unicron as soon as you heard that and you're thinking oh boy okay we're let's get the big boy shoes on <laughs> something yeah. big's about
1: to happen yeah and again i think kid me watching this that that was definitely a kind of like shiver down the spine moment of like this is this is like transformers the movie level stuff but already this is something more powerful potentially than unicron and like that's pretty that's pretty tantalizing at at, uh, at any juncture
0: back on the moon rodimus prime is leading a rather badly outnumbered group of Autobots, it has to be emphasized against the decepticons and they are waiting for skylinks to arrive to assist them as the fighting continues a mysterious voice different to the one that we heard in the earlier scenes can now be heard calling to specific transformers example come grimlock come all primitives the five Dinobots are confused as as each is called out and in turn have now just stopped fighting rodimus notices that something is wrong here and they're almost that being the dynabots almost like in a trance state of some kind and galvatron also notices this and then proceeds to tell the predacons and terracons to take advantage of the fact this is happening however the mysterious voice calls out to both of those combiner parties as well at this moment Trypticon is then randomly on screen and this is when Skylink's arrives leading to a fun dialogue exchange from the Autobots which was SkyLink saying "Save your ammunition Autobots superior forces are taking over." To which Springer goes, "Well well, Commander Modesty is
1: here." <laughs> Springer continues to have like the best the best one-liner comebacks in this entire show. <laughs> At this moment, we start getting some
0: action between Skylinks and Trypticon, which, when I saw that, my brain was thinking, wait, what? <laughs> how, how does that work as a battle? And then I looked at the action and thought, I don't care, I want more of this. And what yeah. happens, Andy? I don't get more of it. Because at this point, the mysterious voice then tells both of them, both of you, put down your hosti- hostilities. There are There is a more important battle for each of you to fight. Now, the other detail it should be noted as well, this also has an impact on both the Decepticon and Autobot cassette tapes who each, for want of a better phrase, forcibly eject themselves from their Guardians, Soundwave and Blaster. Of which, Soundwave, hey, how's it going? Haven't seen you in like a hot season. (laughs) Blaster, when this happening, it actually says something to the effect of, hey, something's happening to me too, and it's not on the top 20.
1: (laughs) Just... It's the little lines that go such a long way, isn't it, Andy? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's good fun. It's good fun seeing both Soundwave and Blaster just be like, what the heck? I'm not I, I don't like this at all. <laughs>
0: now, in my opinion, what happens next is an all-time amazing Transformers moment because all of these Transformers that I've just been mentioning, the ones that are being impacted by this voice, they're standing side by side, and they all collectively agree that they must answer the call. And they just proceed to all get on board Skylinks and Triptychon and just leave. Yeah. <laughs> just, just leave. And leaving behind a puzzled Rodimus and an infuriated Galvatron.
1: Yep. Just like, we're off down the pub, guys. Like, cool, we'll, see, we'll see, <laughs> see, see you Monday. <laughs> At this point, I mentioned Galvatron's infuriated. He and a few of the other
0: Decepticons, Soundwave included, take off in pursuit. But this is when Tornadron arrives and drains the energy of the moon, which I didn't know the moon had any energy, but that's a debate for another day, and the remaining Autobots along with it. Then continues forward to Galvatron's troops, of which there was a wonderful line from Galvatron, if I remember correctly, where I think it's Soundwave detects that something's coming. And then Galvatron says something to the effect of, ah, it's probably just a really naff Autobot weapon. And then they just get drained of energy instantly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's
1: great. It's just, nah, just be some rubbish Autobot thing. And then it's just like, <laughs> ah. <laughs> it's like, oh Galvatron. Galvatron continues to not care about the things that he really should care about. <laughs> like that is the recurring theme of this season. It's like, I why would I be interested in this? And then it comes back and bites him literally instantly. <laughs> Tornadron then continues to be in pursuit of
0: the primitives, as I'm going to call them collectively, for want of a better phrase, in space. But not before. It drains the entire planet Earth, Andy. So I'm guessing the planet Earth is dead?
1: Yeah. I mean, again, like, that that's the crazy thing about, you know, this episode is the stakes are insane. Like, already, like, half the universe has been destroyed. And it's kind of like, you know... It, Watching all of this sort of Autobots and Decepticons just like drains to these like white husks that are just kind of like, you know, they're all dead. And it's like, oh my, it's happening again. Like the movie's <laughs> happening again. They're just they're just killing everyone. I hadn't, I hadn't actually thought about it like that, but you're not wrong. <laughs> the scene
0: ends with Tornadron having drained the earth and then it says two planets dead. Now for the primitives. And that's where we have an ad break. <laughs> at this point children watching us on tv just going what no stop come back
1: yeah i mean again it's kind of you know you look at your typical transformers episode like so much has already happened and we've only hit the first ad spot and honestly mate i know again you've been like
0: you've been get you've been really excited to rewatch this episode this is living up to it so much so much is happening the quality of what we're seeing is really good it's an incredibly intriguing storyline everything about this is checking all kind of boxes that i can now understand why you've been really hyped to watch this since we started doing the podcast
1: yeah. And again, like the animation quality is what sells a lot of that as well. Like this <laughs> is a lot of this is really top notch. I mean, there's a bit we'll, we'll, we'll come to in the future where it is perhaps the best animated cut in the entire show, perhaps even over some of the movie stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, it's it, it's all the little things, you know, like we've talked about with some of the ACOM episodes where like the framing and blocking is really bad. Like this is really good. Every shot makes every Transformer look cool like as a toy commercial you can see why this ended up on the kind of VHS because this is pure top quality like selling these characters it's like i think even like early on like the that first shot you get of Springer and it's just like he looks so cool and dynamic and powerful and you get that with every character here where it's just like oh my god they just look so awesome even even
0: the close ups of Rodimus and Galvatron's faces during that battle there's just something about it where you're like this this is a like this this is good I hate to put it that bluntly but like it's just a different class
1: yeah yeah and and Galvatron's also revealed he has a little mic that comes out of like comes out of his (laughs) his, like chest plate is like for his like Britney Spears, like, music concert moment, I guess. <laughs> and it's just like, didn't I Galvatron had one of those? Why does he not use that more? It's really cool. He's got a lot of microphone <laughs> hidden away. Like, maybe maybe for his podcast series, his, like, travel <laughs> podcast or something. I don't know. But uh, I, I, it's just little touches like that where it's like, yeah, they kind of, they went to the wall with this one.
0: And also, in terms of, because let's 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 remember, unfortunately, this is just a toy advert. And in terms of advertising toys... There's so many on on focus, but also, Andy, which I'm sure Hasbro were delighted at, how many of the most expensive ones were they advertising in this episode?
1: Yeah, yeah, like, c- c- call of the expensive Transformers would probably have... <laughs> maybe that's the Japanese title we'll get to when uh, when we, we talk about the localization. And, yeah, I mean, that whole, like kind of panning shot over all of the primitives is like, yeah, that's pro- probably that was like kid me of just like, how many of these could I get my parents to buy me? I like, definitely not Tripticon, <laughs> um, but uh, like, like, I've already got Metroplex. I can't, I can't do that one. But yeah, it's just like this laundry list of very cool. And like, you say, mostly pretty expensive Transformers.
0: I actually just quickly looked it up. The, the original air date of this episode in the U S was November the 18th, eighty six. So it's not actually that far
1: away from Christmas either. So in terms of timing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's like, yeah, pick. pick uh, they should have just maybe in like the, the Japanese TV times, they had just like a checklist of like, which Transformers do you want to buy from this episode? Because that would probably have worked.
0: <laughs> God, Isn't it so cynical? How I'm just like, yeah, right. Expensive toys.
1: Oh, look at the air date. Very close to Christmas. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's yeah. These things are rarely accidents as well I'll say back from the ad break and we are back with the
0: primitives inside trypticon and they are traveling alongside skylinks who is determined that the source of the call to them is coming from the center of the galaxy but he can't even he excuse me can't pinpoint the exact location of it aboard trypticon it doesn't take long for some tempers to flare after headstrong decides to pick a fight with the Dinobots by insulting grimlock here's how this happened grimlock saying me, Grimlock, not know where I go. And then Headstrong, which has kind of got a New York-style accent, which I'll try and replicate if I can, but I'm not going to do it well. But basically just goes, That's not surprising. Grimlock don't know nothing. <laughs> just, <laughs> Which then prompts Sludge to suggest that they should stomp him the Predacons then stick with their teammate and begin to fight the Dinobots, and even the Terracons decide to just fight everyone because they can't pick. They just go, let's fight everyone! Yeah.
1: Which, again, that, that leads into what we're talking about, like, who do the Terracons work for? Because it's like their instant reaction is just like, ah, we just hate you all. It's We'll, we'll just we'll take you all on.
0: Then, at Skylink's suggestion, Trypticon then just shakes himself like up and down and side to side a bit while they're flying which sends his passengers just going up down and all over the place and then once kind of i'll say the dust had settled grimlock then just says
1: me grimlock think it may be better to fight later (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and, and then again I mean I'm not sure how much of this is deliberate and how much is not but that again felt very much like it had like mirrors to the movie of that whole like fight inside Astro Train of everybody kind of arguing over who the new leader should be there are so many bits here that feel like they're kind of mirroring the movie's cadence but in 20 minutes um, and I think that is, is also one of the things that always like really sells me on this episode of like oh this is like watching the film but in like a third of the time
0: As the primitives continue to fly toward the source of the voice that they are hearing, Skylinks is now noting how the deeper they're getting into space, a lot of the space junk they're encountering is becoming a lot older and believes they may be being called to, quote, a very ancient and sacred place. I believe we're coming home, he says. The group arrive on, we'll just call it an ancient planet, and it's near the center of the galaxy. And after touching down, Skylinks does what Skylinks does and just assumes command of the group. <laughs> Despite the objections of the likes of Razorclaw and Hunger, Hunger specifically saying, You command Terracons over my rusting carcass. Great line. Suddenly, they're not alone, as there is a sort of Transformers like creature in the distance, which Grimlock instantly believes is an enemy instantly goes to attack it but it instantly disappears as he approaches it
1: and grimlock falls down a cliff Mm -hmm. which is that that's the the cut of animation that is just incredibly good Mm -hmm. like you know it's so dynamic because he sort of slides past the camera as it kind of pans around on him the whole scene uh, and the the weight of him like that cliff face collapsing down it's just like i mean again i was not like an animation nerd necessarily when i was like seven years old when i watched this but i suspect things like that are probably the reason that i became an animation nerd because it's just like oh my god that looks so good why does that look so good (laughs) never have you thought that that rocks falling have looked so damn good (laughs) yeah like somebody (laughs) sliding down a cliff should not be that interesting but it's just like so dynamic It's, it's incredibly cool we then cut to the primitives having found a cave,
0: and Skylinks, as a group of them are inside going deeper into it, gives the following advice to his comrades. Before doing anything, think, is this what Skylinks would do in my position? And it will not go
1: far wrong. Yeah, so ba- basically, the, the lesson there is just boast about it before you do whatever you do. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's what I'm taking away from that.
0: Then they encounter. A strange light which the tf wiki notes specifically as being a a strange entity so that's how i'm going to refer to it going forward it almost looks like a portal but the mysterious voice they heard can well can be heard once again and we get the following dialogue i'll say exchange but it's the following info dump if you will i have summoned you all here to tell you a tale of long ago Grimlock responds by saying, Ooh, me Grimlock love long ago tale." <laughs> then the voice continues with, Then allow me to tell it. Near the beginning of the galaxy, an organic being we shall know as Primacron built some of the primitives. As his powers grew, so too did his ambitions. At this point, it should be noted, we the viewer are now seeing images of, of a... a Of like a lab and and diagnostics on the screen and such the voice then continues his creatures were bigger and bigger and finally he created the monstrous unicron unicron decided to rule himself and tried to dispose of primacron we the viewer then see unicron destroying a planet of sorts the voice continues he failed leaving primacron broken but alive and i the Primacron's assistant, escaped to this dead world. Quick viewer note, on screen at this point, we, the viewer, see what appears to be, Andy, a damaged and or broken matrix of leadership float into space from the debris. Mm. That was a random moment. Yeah. The voice continues, but as with all tyrants, Unicron came to his end primacron then vowed not to make the same mistake again instead of creating instead of creating excuse me a beast of matter like unicron that could rebel he created tornadron a cloud of living energy that like a cannibal feeds on energy leaving suns dark and planets inert blank slates to do with as he pleases primacron is a creature of sophisticated brilliance His powerful brain conceives of infinitely complex plans, but perhaps he thinks too hard. Perhaps your simple instincts can defeat his plans. Therein lies our greatest hope. Therein lies our greatest fear. End quote. To sum that up, your stupidity may save the galaxy. Yeah, (laughs)
1: pretty much. (laughs) I I mean, so, so many so many questions about how this fits or if this fits at all into kind of like all of the continuity we've had up to this point mm-hmm. because we've had like the Quintessons created the transformers this seems like it goes against that it arguably kind of creates an alternative viewpoint on what created unicron like i guess there's maybe an argument maybe they're trying with that whole kind of matrix of leadership shot they're trying to argue that some of the transformers were created before the quintessons and they sort of found the technology to do the rest but it doesn't really add up also especially given like the Dinobots were definitely not created by primacron because we saw them getting created by the autobots in season one like all of these transformers have come into being not a long long time ago so it's sort of is particularly weird, like you know, Skylinks wasn't around in season one, like Trypticon wasn't, the Predacons weren't, like there's nobody really, uh, barring maybe like some of Soundwave's tapes that are even kind of like season one characters.
0: Yeah, and also worth noting, I'm just double checking the character list on the TF Wiki, but we actually, I think, for the first time in forever, actually also got all
1: five Dinobots, not four of them. We actually got five as well. Yeah. Yeah, we we got the 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 full the, the full bore the the full set, which is uh, which is nice. It also I I weird like side note, but I remembered from watching this episode like you get to see swoop and you also get to see dive bomb from the Predacons, and I wish the cartoon had done this because the comics had a really good ongoing storyline where like swoop and dive bomb were like arch rivals from like before the war before they went, ended up on earth and they did some really cool stuff with those two characters as being like deadly rivals which made a lot of sense um and i, I wish i wish the cartoon had done some of that stuff as well because sweep never really gets much play in the in the cartoon i mean he's dead half the time in the comic as well but at least he got some <laughs> moments also actually just looking at the list of characters the only g1
0: decepticon primitive if you will if I'm correct, it's Ravage. Mm, yeah, that would that would make sense. Also, good to see
1: Ravage again. Been way yeah. too long. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he's sort of been been usurped somewhat, so uh, good good that he's around. Suddenly, after we get that giant info dump and whatnot,
0: we see Tornadron arrive, now in the appearance of a dragon, and it drains Trypticon of his energy, which prompts Skylinks to shout Trypticon's crashing. Primitives flee. And then I think it was headstrong. Just responds with,
1: "Us primitives are not stupid." <laughs> it's like well, but well, arguable given that they run like directly in the path where Tripticon is falling. <laughs> like it's that typical like that whole joke from the movie Prometheus where there's a similar thing where like something's collapsing and everybody runs like in a straight line in the direction that it's collapsing. Where it's like, just go sideways. And then you'll be fine. To be fair, at least they've animated it's kind of like a valley, so it feels like they couldn't necessarily get out to the sides. But there is a questable, like, maybe not in that direction. Maybe that's not a good, a good plan. <laughs> Certainly not for Grimlock. Definitely not a good plan, as it turns out.
0: Exactly, because Trypticon falls over like a giant tree trunk, and the only primitive that wasn't out of the crushing line was Grimlock. Skylinks at this point for the first time I can recall, Andy, and correct me if I'm wrong here, is showing proper emotion to the point where it just launches an all-out attack on Tornadron, only to have his energy drained as well. But Skylinks is, like, really angry. And it's quite a fun moment to actually see Skylinks, for all the bravado, is just an ego that they constantly have, actually cares, as random as that sounds, and that's a random way to phrase it, but
1: it was actually a really cool moment yeah no it's 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 a good sort of response um to to everything that's happened there and so yeah like it it works really well and also yeah like give give gives an excuse to bump another transformer off the list
0: then in a fun moment of humility i've almost written down or irony it's one or the other but despite the protests earlier headstrong of the predacons then says skylings is destroyed who will lead us now despite being one of the ones earlier going, you're not going to lead us. Slag then says, I, Slag, lead Dinobots away until I get a better idea. (laughs) And this leads, uh, sorry, and then leads the Dinobots in retreat while the other primitives split up believing that Tornadron can't catch up with all of them if they go their separate ways. This is a good moment to bring up, Andy. That one thing we've not discussed in sort of the few teases as to who is behind all of this, is that Tornadron appears at some points to be being controlled manually. At various points, we see a pair of hands operating some controls, almost like an old-school joystick, if you will, if you're playing video games, and Tornadron responding accordingly. And at this point, it's, it's really emphasised strongly, as Tornadron following some controls being inputted, then separates into four parts and tracks them all down easily dispatching of the mini cassette tapes and some proper harrowing and amazing animation within
1: this including just chewing on
0: rat bat which was horrifying don't yeah. chew on rat bat what the hell
1: yeah that that was definitely like felt like somebody definitely done some studying of just like tigers like eating their prey in the desert or something because it's like yeah really really well animated
0: headstrong then declares that it would be better to fight than to die or sorry headstrong then declares it'd be better to fight and die and the predacons all agree form predaking only to moments later have their energy sucked away as well the terracons then try to fight back but are also drained and the dinobots then ambush tornadron but they too are just wiped of their energy after declaring victory against the primitives primacron orders tornadron to return home back to his lab the voice behind the controls saying your mission is complete tornadron and i suppose at this point i should just say the voice is primacron i should just get that into my brain now however unknown to tornadron and Primacron, grimlock has survived the impact from tryptocon falling on him the following dialogue exchange happening between grimlock and the strange entity only you can save the world now grimlock grimlock responding with me grimlock feel important (laughs) and the the strange entity then going search for primacron's lair and destroy him this is where grimlock proves andy that he can now be a super sleuth as he sees tornadron in the sky i.e space go inside of an object of some kind that promptly flies away He figures out that that is his target, and then takes to the sky himself by flying, and secretly follows them. At his base, Primacron is now having troubles controlling Tornadron, ordering him to stop. Tornadron saying in response, I take no orders from you. Instead, I take your life force. Primacron responding with, This is impossible! I have fail-safe systems atop fail-safe systems! At which point I immediately thought, oh, I've been there before. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> Tornadron refuses to take any more orders and declares that he intends to feed on Primacron. And given that all of Primacron's fail-saves have now failed, realises that Tornadron is rebelling against him. At this point, Grimlock breaks into Primacron's lab just by jumping through the ceiling and proclaims, he's here to save the universe! And then all that's inside this lab amongst the machinery is... I, I decided to copy the TF's wiki way I describe it, because I think it sums it up best. All that we see is a tiny monkey-like alien thing, which is Primacron. Grimlock says, you are creator? Primacron says, unfortunately, yes. Grimlock then says, Grimlock laugh at little wimp who make big trouble. <laughs> Primacron says, I will make no more if we survive this. To which my first thought was lies. Yeah. <laughs> Grimlock grabs Primacron and orders him to reverse his damage, but Primacron declares that he's tried everything. And then Grimlock looks at the computer, says, me Grimlock solve problem, look! And then he flicks a switch. At which point, Primacron then literally says, Of course! The reverse switch! Why didn't I think of that? (laughs) Grimlock then responds by going, You not smart primitive like me! Me, Grimlock, think I did the right thing! (laughs) This moment, Andy, was just like... It was both incredibly wonderful and incredibly annoying at the same time, and it was perfect.
1: Yeah, I mean, for everything, all of the high stakes stuff that this episode builds up is kind of an anticlimax to just be like, "Oh, just hit the reverse switch." It's like, "Oh, that's not really not very satisfying at all." Um, it it is funny as a kind of like you can view these sort of episodes like this in Grimlock's New Brain as like a single arc where you start with Grimlock not knowing which button to press and then it ends with Grimlock knowing exactly what button to press (laughs) and it's just like there's a kind of beautiful like mirroring to that that I think is entirely accidental Um, but I do enjoy that at least having watched this in the same block as Grimlock's New Brain. Yeah, it's a wonderful through line, unintentional as it is. The other
0: thing as well is, I like the fact that this literally goes back to what the strange entity was saying, in that, it effectively, take it's going to take your stupidity to make this all end. And it
1: was. Because, how did Primacron forget there's a reverse switch? Yeah, well, it, it, it does fit perfectly. they like, oh, he, he overthinks things. It's like he's thinking about all these complex solutions where actually there's a button there that will just fix it for you. So I, I, I do appreciate the, the the smarts of the writing of this episode. It's just it still feels like a bit of a cheap get out clause at the end of an episode. It's, it's the classic Transformers, oh, God, we've run out of time. Oh, here we go. There's a reverse switch. <laughs> As a result of flicking the reverse switch...
0: This reverses everything that Tornadron has drained. It's reversed the energy polarity, if you will. It destroys Tornadron in the process and restores life to everything that was drained, including planets, so I guess the Earth is just fine. Sure, whatever. Which prompts Grimlock to shout the following dialogue. Grimlock saved universe! Grimlock hero! (laughs) And in celebration, Grimlock just starts jumping around and starts destroying Primacron's lab. And this is much to the annoyance of Primacron, but Grimlock declares it's the smartest thing he's ever done. Probably not wrong. And that's where the episode ends. And, m- mate, th- again, you would sort of built this up for a while. This more than delivered. This was fan- this is a great episode. Looks freaking amazing. This was well worth the wait.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like as much as I, I always forget just how much I dislike the, the rushed ending of this. Uh, it, it somehow it always catches me by surprise. Of just like, oh yeah, that's what they do at the end. Because I just, <laughs> I think I forcibly forget it every time. Um, but yeah, like it is, it's, it is that kind of Transformers the movie in microcosm. Basically, it's like really cool action scenes, really interesting high stakes plot um you know does something different from the norm it's not like you know the decepticons are made a super weapon or whatever like it feels kind of fresh um, and you know, all of the season three music fits really well into this episode. Like it makes really good use of all the new music. It's kind of like the perfect distillation of all the, the good stuff about season three, just in one package. And yeah, I, I will never not love this episode. Like this is definitely like if somebody was like, you've got, you've got one episode of Transformers to watch for the rest of your life, which one would it be? It would always be this episode. Cause it's, it's that good. Out of interest, because we've obviously been watching Transformers from the start
0: to this point currently, has this made you think anything different about the episode at all, or has there been like any context that's made you go, oh, okay, that's a new angle I had never considered?
1: No, I mean, I, I think it... It, it raises more questions about the kind of the, the whole you know backstory that this episode gives because having gone through all the Quintesson stuff that i'd sort of forgotten in the back of my head because this almost feels like it tries to lean more into like the comic continuity but it doesn't even really fit into that particularly um but yeah it's definitely a reminder of like oh this doesn't really feel like it fits in any of the timelines that you've created in this show um but I guess I still don't care because it's it's cool um so there's that and like I say that the the mirroring of kind of like Grimlock being rubbish at pushing buttons to being good at pushing buttons across this and Grimlock's new brain was entertaining to me um but as a whole no I, I think it's it's one of those episodes that just stands alone really well it kind of it almost feels like it deliberately sets itself aside from not worrying too much about the broader continuity and just like, let's get these Transformers to do some cool things. So from there, let's venture to the TF wiki and
0: see if we can get any answers to some of these questions that we now have. To begin with, let's focus on what I was alluding to about the animation studio and some notes regarding that. The art style in this episode is very different from all others in the G1 series, with highly stylized anime-like character models and proportions. Exactly which studio animated it has long been a subject of speculation by fans, with Tokyo Movie Shinsha and Ashi Productions both being suspects. At last, in 2020, the episode's director, Eiji Suganuma, explained that it had in fact been contracted to regular Transformers animation studio Toei, who then, as was common, sub- subtracted the work, at least in part, to Studio Look. They, in turn, employed students from vocational school known as International Anime Institute.
1: Hmm. Yeah, yeah, so I mean in a way that, that both answers the question and also doesn't because it's like, it's it's not a really obvious like oh yeah, it's that studio and it's these people because like Toei are a known, a, a known element I, I would certainly have like put my money on it being like TMS because it had the look of a lot of TMS shows from that kind of era but uh, yeah, mm. it definitely, it looks super anime which, weird how I ended up becoming an anime fan after seeing this episode <laughs> who could have foreseen
0: this? i know it also does actually explain a lot as well because with everyone suspecting it was very anime like if you're bringing people if you're bringing students in from a school that you know they probably grew up watching anime that's kind of the style you would default to
1: so it does actually explain a
0: heck of a lot in that sense
1: yeah yeah and it was especially in that kind of era of like the 80s i mean that's when you had a lot of you know where you had the the rise of like you know Studios like Gainax in Japan that were Mm -hmm. kind of like, you know, former generations of anime fans suddenly hitting the age where they were looking to work and found their own companies. And there was kind of a glut of talent of people who'd grown up with anime in the like through the 70s basically through the kind of the 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 rise of anime across those decades suddenly yeah like getting into sort of the working world and so yeah it was probably a prime time with puns intended for like you know to find some real talent and get them working on on something like this and all the classic robot shows they were probably brought up Mm -hmm. watching as well yeah for sure i mean again yeah you look at even like things like the um like the predacon transformation scene that is so redolent of your like anime mecha transformation scene mm. in the way it's depicted even just like the angling of the shot where it's like sort of like bottoms up so that it looks massive and you see all the bits kind of bolting on with a very sort of anime style you know ka sort of feel to it um yeah very like so- it, very sort of like one bit after another rather than just together at the same yeah, time yeah yeah and it all feels very physical you can almost like feel the parts bolting into each other um and it's all very satisfying another note here in the past, it's been claimed that character models
0: seen in this episode were those designed by Studio Ox and used in their TV magazine work, but they are not. They're simply more stylized versions of the standard animation models, lacking the additional toyetic touches and copious mecha gree- greeblies that's a good word, found in the Ox designs. However, the money shot of the combined King was animated by Shin Matsuo, who was a member of Studio Ox and brought much of their artistic aesthetic to the standard animation models. That that wasn't meant to be a segue to what you were just mentioned, Andy, but <laughs> it ironically was. Yeah, there we go. And in terms of who Shin Matsuo is... A Japanese artist and animator who was a member of Studio Ox worked as an animator in the third season of G1, as we just talked about, animating the Predaking combination sequence in Call of the Primitives. Additionally, provided story page illustrations which appeared in TV magazine and Comic Bomb Bomb, that's a great name for a magazine, uh, for Transformers in Japan. So yeah, basically, worked for Studio Ox, and that's mainly what they've done, and they've worked on some more Transformers bits and bobs since then as well. Hmm. It is freaking fantastic, and then I'm thinking about it. So, continuity notes. We get our first official origin story for Unicron, painting him as the creation of an obsessive scientist guy. It's a bit lackluster, as the TF wiki put it, especially considering the demigod nature of the character depicted in the, in the Marvel UK comics. That God-style origin would carry over into the Marvel U.S. comics in 1989 and later media would use it almost exclusively quietly ignoring poor Primacron. (laughs) So, Primacron's assistant. Primacron's assistant is an enigma. What is supposed to be his essence leaving his body is rather inexplicably portrayed looking just like the Matrix of Leadership? This might be explained as the artist recognising and replicating the object that killed Unicron at the end of the movie, but not knowing it had any deeper connection to the Autobots. Fair. A fair point here. The roll call of the primitives isn't quite complete.
1: It omits laser beacon buzzsaw. Yeah, I mean, I've kind of assumed that those guys are... On a mission, as on your <laughs> euphemism is, because we've not seen them in quite a long time. And, I mean, again, the other episode we had Ratbat. So, I mean, I I think that's part of me. Maybe they have turned up in season three. I just kind of assumed that they died in the movie um, somehow, but mm. I could be wrong. An additional note here, which, <laughs> in- uh, instead of
0: those two, Soundwave unleashes two new cassette Decepticons, Slugfest and Overkill, who are never seen again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this episode marks the last appearance of the Dinobots, Trypticon, Ravage, Jazz. He is seen running by in the background during the red alert on Cybertron, and Unicron in the Western cartoon.
1: Yeah, it's uh, the, the end of many eras. I I seem to I seem to recall Windcharger Ch- Wind was also running around on Cybertron in one of those shots as well in some some moment of resurrection. Good, got a wind charger. Yep, yeah, wind
0: charger is name checked here, so <laughs> def- definitely there. Apparently,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely not dead because <laughs> <laughs> dead, quote unquote.
0: <laughs> Foreign localization. Generally, it, it's basically referred to as Call of the Primitives. A couple of oddities, though, if you will. First of all, in Italian, the first dub simply called this episode Tornadron.
1: Hmm. yeah that's not really it's not really doing it for me in german
0: this was known as the mysterious oracle
1: okay that's that's a good episode title and I can get behind that
0: in Mandarin this was apparently called supreme great lord <laughs> okay i mean <laughs> sure <laughs> and in Japan this was known as primeval call
1: okay yeah then that's that's also good
0: so there's a few additional notes here which probably worth noting but we should delve into this episode preview art published in tv magazine inexplicably displays slugfest and overkill as if they were the stars of the episode
1: (laughs) (laughs) wow oops
0: a secret files of teletran 2 segment that was unique to japan was attached to the end of this episode The episode focuses on the Combaticons. It replaces the original segment seen in the US version of the mini cassettes. That segment would never air in the Japanese broadcast. So, here is a note which may take a moment to get through, but I think this is definitely worth mentioning. In 2007, this episode became the foundation for a massive retcon that saw the character of Primus brought into the Japanese continuity by combining several originally unrelated characters and concepts to create a long, convoluted history for the cartoon version of Primus. (laughs) For this episode, it was retconned that all of the scenes set on or near the Oracle's planet actually took place in the distant past, with the primitives having travelled back in time during their trip to said planet this was done to enable the Oracle's planet to later become Cybertron in the present, with the Oracle, who is now Primus himself, later becoming Vector Sigma during the Quintessons' rule of Cybertron. (laughs) God. Of course, none of this was true in any language at the time of the episode's original airing, but but sure is fortuitous that both the Oracle and Vector Sigma happen to have the same Japanese voice actor.
1: (laughs) That's that's quite a retcon there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, I feel like this this is sort of the, the interesting thing about Transformers by the time you get to like especially I feel like post-movie where everybody suddenly started thinking about big picture stuff or like the Transformers as a franchise of you know just the fact that that bounces you 20 years in the future you know there's a lot to unpack and I feel like because it had because it was like a multimedia property of you know the comics the tv series the other various books the toys it ended up becoming a real mess of kind of backstories and stuff so I'm really not surprised that at some point they desperately tried to kind of retcon things and jam things together in a way that made some semblance of sense. I mean, it's the thing you see with every big like franchise like this. You look at stuff like Doctor Who where they have to, you know, even things that are kind of codified as like this is definitely the way this works. Suddenly it becomes inconvenient for the story so they have to find ways to work around it and, you know, it's like even the the Daleks can't go upstairs. Like, one. Well, That sucks now. We need to make them go upstairs. It's like all the little (laughs) things like that that you suddenly have to find ways around as writers. I always find it fascinating.
0: There is an additional note here I've just seen. However, while the scene of the primitives following the Oracle summoning rings to his ancient planets can be interpreted as time travel... The fact they also encounter tornadron and primacron while still on the same planet means that both of them had somehow likewise traveled back in time to specifically follow the primitives to the distant past and that tornadron also somehow traveled back to the present when he undid all of his prior handiwork after grimlock reversed his energy polarity and that the primitives and primacron were all subsequently sent back to the present after the episode ends and boy That is a lot of assumptions
1: to be made for the Primus retcon to work. Yeah, I I think it's easy (laughs) to say that it doesn't really make sense.
0: (laughs) I think that's going to wrap up us discussing that particular episode, mate. Like I say, blooming fantastic. Really, really enjoyed it and in a weird way from my point of view because I don't recall ever seeing that before having built up to it to this point in the way we have watching everything I think it added so much more to me watching it not to say that watching it for want of a better phrase out of context wouldn't have landed as well because it's still really good but just knowing how everything's built up how we've got little pockets of extra background lore here and there when we've delved into things it's really added a heck of a lot to watching this episode for me.
1: Yeah, no, I, I definitely, yeah, I, I feel like I sort of, you know, watched it with slightly different eyes, sort of having watched, you know, every other episode to this point, and you know, much as I, I would have loved it regardless, um, yeah, there, there's definitely something to that, and uh, I'm, I'm just glad it, glad it lived up to the hype, because you know, sometimes if when you bang on about something relentlessly about how good it is, people's expectations go through the stratosphere, and then they'd be like, well, it was alright, um, <laughs> but uh, I, I'm glad, I'm glad it held up. <laughs>
0: So what's coming up next time? Well, next time on the podcast, we are going to a two-episode format for a couple of podcast episodes, as we discussed at the end of last time's podcast. In our next episode, we'll be focusing specifically on episodes 27 and 28 of Season 3. That's then leading up to the next episode, which, if I've got my timeline correct, Andy, that should be the return of Optimus Prime two-parter.
1: Yeah, finally, we can find find out what happened to. Optimus Prime's wrecked body from Dark Awakening (laughs) that we've been waiting to find out about for months now, and the
0: two episodes we are discussing next time are episode twenty-seven, "The Burden Hardest to Bear," and twenty-eight, "The Face of Nijika" or Nijika. Not sure how I'm meant to pronounce it because I've not seen it yet. So there we go, mate. Before we conclude proper, any additional notes at all that you wanted to impart on our good listeners.
1: Um, I, I, I've now just gone on, on a on a Wikipedia rabbit hole of looking up uh, Shin Matsuo's other credits, having name-checked him as, as the guy who made that Predacon shot. And it makes a lot of sense. He works on Mazinger Z, he's worked on a lot of Gundam shows. Okay, because I was just going by what it said in the TF wiki, which is why I didn't elaborate on that a bit more. But the fact you've just said, though, you've just name-checked those two, it makes so much sense from our perspective. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he has masses of credits up to like, you know, pretty recently. He's clearly like still kind of working, you know, in the industry he has credits on Bubblegum Crisis, on Project Aiko, oh, uh, Yatsura, Full Metal Panic. Like he's got a, a lot of storyboard episode directions, like key animation. He's he's done the lot. Mazan an So yeah, like he's 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 pretty much a, a, an industry stalwart at, the, at this point. Like One Piece, some Pokemon, the whole the whole Nine Yards. So uh, yeah, clearly clearly a talented guy. Um, and it all started with Transformers. <laughs> That That's really cool to know, actually. Just genuinely, that, that's really
0: cool. And I did wonder, as I was reading the TF wiki thing, of... I'm sure they must have
1: done more since then because that talent won't go unnoticed. And the fact you've yeah. cleared that up makes me really happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Because yeah, obviously the TF Wiki is very kind of Transformers focused, but yeah, pl- plug his name plus Studio Ox into uh, to ANN and my anime list and things, and you get you get a big old a big old list of, of stuff that he's worked on in in various uh, in various forms. Um, so yeah, I, I always always a nerd for like yeah, who who did that shot of animation. Well, thank you very much for checking out the podcast this time, everybody.
0: If you enjoyed it, why not tell a friend about it? We would really appreciate it. And as mentioned before, if you're a first-time listener, in audio form, we are available on the likes of Spotify, Apple, Google, SoundCloud, Stitcher. Also, you can visit our Patreon page. Again, not trying to take pledges for more content very much as a place that's an, a long-term audio archive that's at patreon.com slash ghost if you enjoyed the video version on youtube thank you very much for watching we'll be back in two weeks time discussing episodes 27 and 28 of season three if you've got any thoughts you would like to share with us we'd love to hear from you you can find us on twitter and instagram at StarscreamsPod. pod From myself, Jeremy Graves. From him, Mr. Andy Hanley. You've been listening to Starscream's Ghost, a Transformers podcast. Until next time, take care.
1: I'm going to hit the reverse switch on this podcast and take us back to the start. But Ah! bye, everyone.